Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. Whitney, I remember where I was in 1992. Oh, you do? Yeah, for the most part. I mean... I'm trying to think. Not was, too far out of high school. Okay. I was, into college. I was... Uh, I think I had a really, really terrible beard. Yeah, I was stuck somewhere in Zimbabwe trying to find my way home. Were so, you? Yeah, were yeah, you? Was yeah. it? Did that's you lose a bet? I'll stick to it. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> was that one of those? Well, hand over, uh, yeah. hand over everything you're wearing except for your right shoe and your hat. Yeah. And here's ten dollars. Now you got to make your way home. That's right. Yes, <laughs> it's it's the plot line of a, of a bad movie, no doubt about it. Episode ninety two, Whitney. Yes, ninety two, and I feel fine. <laughs> I mean, Brent, we are recording here on the last day of August, so it is technically an August episode because we'll be kind of uh, talking about August twenty twenty and uh, all of the. Well, hang on, Brent. I was thinking about all the good things that have happened, but uh, I was looking through the show notes, and uh, man, August has been kind of rough on us, man, hasn't it? It's been, it's been rough. Yeah, it has. But we're here. We're yes, here. we are. It, well, and that's that's not the tone to start the show, but ultimately, it's like you look through current events, and it's like, whoa, man, this is kind of tough. But <laughs> but you know something? You you try to look on the bright side, and uh, that's that's what this is all about, buddy. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Well, I mean, for the month, I, we'll get into what I've been up to. Yeah. All right. Let's just let's just hit that real quick. And man, honestly, um, game related, it's like a lot, but nothing. And, and I say that because um, uh, yes. I, 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 I'm going to skip ahead here. I'll, I'll catch back up. Whitney's looking up the show notes. I'm sure he's like, well, we're, we're way off topic already. And we're not just but seconds in. <laughs> Last month kind of as our our start back up show because yeah. we, we've been a, a little a little tied up here recently yeah yeah you know? we, we had we had an unintentional hiatus yeah check out 91 yeah but last month i mentioned that i was in the middle of this massive parts sort so it was part of one of the projects that i'd started uh now that i'd had uh, some extended time at home i was finally going through this massive collection of uh, little organizer bins and drawers like well over 400 of these little drawers full of all kinds of parts mild to wild you know resistors to uber rare ic's and man i am still <laughs> grinding really? on those parts. It must, it, it must be more than I ever anticipated or oh, thought it Oh, it's more it than I ever... Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you lay all that out. It, it, I've kind of had to go through it in waves, and it, it's consumed my workspace out in the garage, and what I ended up having to do was basically start with things that were relatively easily sorted. So like I had it all laid out and I had it roughly sorted. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and then I'd, I'd take a section. So say it was, uh, um, say, say it was a series of like two in transistors. I'd pull all those together. Then I'd order them. Then I'd see what I have, and then I'd combine those. So those may go into my existing bins, or depending on what how much it was, they'd all come out of my bins, combine with the new stuff, and go into new drawers where I had the space to put them together accordingly. So as I started to churn through those, 
through through sorts like sub sorts like here what are you you're great in like I, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking it's oh, like it's I, maddening I it's like I don't know if you got a good deal or if a deal got you you know <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm oh on the dollar I, I got a good deal I, I get it but, <laughs> but oh my god yeah, I'm actually leaning towards the latter instead of the former at this point but I'll tell you what convince me otherwise well I, at one point. So, so, all right, all right, I'll convince you. Let me get to that. Yeah. So that's how it started so that I could make inroads into making space so that I could then get the larger series of part numbers together and then do the same thing. Gather them all up, sort them in order, see what I had, make a decision. Do they come back into bins in the house or into a new bin that I've got in the building? And I have had this constant stream of like uh, – um, well, you know the little like the 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 single shopper baskets you might get at at, at any grocery store. Uh-huh. You walk in just as yourself, and you get yeah. a couple little things. You get yeah. a little basket. Yeah, it's just a little tote around basket. Yeah, yeah. I have managed to collect about three of those over time. Not that I have not. And I don't go around stealing them. Let's not. Let's let's all go ahead and, okay. and cover okay. that. Okay, fair enough. It, it's uh, you know. F- I don't know where they've turned up, honestly. I want to say that, you know, I mentioned having gone through some stuff of my uncle's when he passed. He had one from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It was just things like that. Well, it's like milk crates, man. Oh, they, you oh know, yeah. Nobody, nobody is supposed to own a milk crate, but everybody has everybody milk has crates. Everybody has milk crates. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So I've had like a steady stream of parts in those little totes. You know, I'll, I'll take little drawers, little boxes, and I'll put them in there because I can't carry them from, I ended up dropping them. Yeah. And it's this constant stream of stuff out to the building, sort it, add it in. Okay. Bring that. Okay. Why well, I've got more in the house than I do here. So put them, bring them in here, take yeah. them back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> and I had a basket the other night that had it, it had probably the dollar value that I paid for, the collection it probably had half of that if yeah. not two-thirds of it just in that basket wow just what custom ICs and things no like it was that? just like transistors oh okay All yeah right. now would i would i have on my own bought that many no yeah but i got them now yeah i mean when it <laughs> so, co- yeah exactly so when you yeah i have been going through this stuff and it's I'm I'm about blind looking at all these little part numbers, <laughs> you know the 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 old classic kind of um, magnifying light thing that's on the little articulated arm that never worked real well because the arm would always come off your desk. You yeah. know what I'm talking? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one of those out in the building that's got a magnifier in it, and I'm uh, it's so old that it's actually got an incandescent lamp in it. So I'll turn it on and I'll put my hand underneath it. And then after it's been on 20 minutes, I'm like, man, this thing's hot. Yeah. You know, I, I need to put an led in it, but I've, I've, it's sat out there forever. I've contemplated getting rid of it. Now I'm glad that it's just set in a corner and collected dust because it has become my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it is my buddy. It has gone through this with me. Um, yeah, but right now I, I you know, like I'll go out there of an evening and spend an hour. I'm going to sort parts, yeah. you know, and, and line stuff up. And is it therapeutic? Does it no, feel good? No, it's, it's at this point it's madness. Fair it's enough. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. It's not, I, I'm, I'm giving you every out. No, that I possibly no, no. Can. It's I, I want it over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like. I'm pretty much through all the ICs at this point. I'm through all the active stuff like transistors and the like. Um, 
right now I'm going through, and this is, I'm actually going to talk about this because this is a, an interesting topic in the tech section. I'm going through all the generic part number parts, like all the NTE uh, parts. And the, you know, the operator that I had bought these out from, they were in in the business through NTE, ECG, and several others. Mm-hmm. So I have this this an array of generic part numbered parts and then trying to bring all them together into parity. That's been an adventure. So yeah, I'm, I'm working through that now. And pretty much all I've got left at this point is the, is the, the passive components I've got just, I have got enough resistors to sink a battleship. Yeah. I've got resistors everywhere. Well, it's, I mean, so it's I've, good. I got tons. But. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tons of resistors. And then I've got a lot of, um, got a lot of, capa- uh, pardon me, a lot of capacitors. But honestly, the electrolytics are so old yeah. that I'm most likely just going to trash them. Yeah. I'm going to circle file them. Yep. And uh, I've got a fairly good sized pile of like polypropylene and other miscellaneous film type caps. They'll be fine. Yeah, so, the, yeah, those should be fine. Yeah, I'll go through those. But anytime I've had, I, I, it's like, all right, we'll go outside and sort parts. And I go out and work for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, just depending on what I've got, and go out there and chip away a little bit more at it. And uh, like right in, in my shop now behind you on my workbench in there, I've got one of those totes and it's full of um, odds and ends. Like uh, I'd already bought a bunch of Molex stuff in here and a bunch of pins. Well, there I had some smaller piles. It's 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 Molex and pins. And yeah, I had a, a relatively surprisingly only a small number of potentiometers. So those are in. I got one of those baskets full yeah. of stuff that gets integrated into the bins that's already in the basement, yeah. already well, in my workshop. So, I mean, that's good because a lot of people, if they had to go out and purchase all of that today, I mean, the money would just be, it sounds like it would be pretty outlandish. So. Yeah. And I, I already had a fairly substantial parts collection, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of that was from over the years, if there's something that, that I was working on, and say, say for example, uh, uh, a Williams WPC era uh, MPU, and they're yeah. they're corroded, battery yeah. corrosion. Yeah, you stumbled upon a demo, man, and then it's like, hey, I need to fix this. I need, yeah, yeah. And, and I could look down and say, well, this much was damaged, but if it would have sat longer and the and it would have continued to corrode, I would have got into this, this, and this, and it might be a, a twenty cent IC or you know. Uh, a little uh, three cent capacitor or yeah. ceramic capacitor. Yeah. Well, I'd go ahead and throw them in an order because if I work on that type of stuff, which I have common commonly over the years, I, I, I could use it. Yeah. So, you know, do you do that for several years, just like anything, anything else we do in the hobby and, and you're you going to collect a, a bunch of build, stuff. You build up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd already had a substantial collection of parts and I've got a, uh, a little bit more substance to that substantial collection at this point. Well, I, I'll uh, I'll look you up in case I ever need something. So no. I'll, I'll call you first. How about that? Yeah. But yeah. so I bet that's basically what I've been working on. And then to call oh, back gotcha. to you know a little bit of last month, I, I'd mentioned the stuff that I had game wise that needed attention. The Ghostbusters needs a switch in it. Battlezone needs sound. Lightsaber transformer needs to be put in my episode one. A couple other odd things. All that stuff I still haven't touched. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, and. 
Yep. I, I have even set out to like, I'm just going to go and throw that switch in my Ghostbusters. And, and I stop. And I'm like, nope. I'm going to take this hour. Uh-huh. Not that it would take an hour, but the time I... It, it might. It, just it, it, Honestly, yeah. it, it's going to take you longer than you think. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take this hour and yeah. I'm going to chew on the, I'm going to chew on the mess I've already got. Yeah. Yeah. And to Instead get of for, starting something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. So I, I've kind of, I've put all of my hobby time into just digesting this. <laughs> you know, how do yeah. how do you eat an elephant? Yeah. One transistor at, at a time. time. <laughs> That's the reason why my zookeeper is sitting where it is because I have allowed myself to kind of chase the shiny, and um, the other stuff pays a price for that. So, and I full well admit it. But I, like I said last month, I'm I'm working my way back to it. But I, I get it. So the other thing I want to add uh, add in is uh, I'm going to give a Pluto TV update because oh, it seems yes. yeah it yes. seems as if every podcast I have been on hours or otherwise. Uh, in 2020, I've ha- I have to mention Pluto TV. Well, fair enough. I mean, and it looks like you've got it here in reference to what is essentially my my second love, <laughs> Brent, which is Star Trek. Yes, yes. So I, I think uh, uh, last month I'd mentioned that the, they had added the Star Trek channel, and I was like super excited about <laughs> right. it. So yeah. if you're not up on Pluto TV, you got to go back. I'm not going to relive the story, but you got to go back on your own. If uh-huh. you're a new listener, yeah. check out episode 91, get the story on Brent's fascination with Pluto TV. Okay. <laughs> and then there's also uh, references to uh, a guest appearance I had on Podcast Roll. Uh, yes. A, a, a podcast that's hosted by friends of ours out of Nashville, a pop culture podcast. And so my obsession with Pluto TV also extends into their show. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, I had mentioned that they'd added uh, a, a, a channel that was basically wall to wall Star Trek. And at the time they were doing basically, I think episodes or series or not series season Seasons. one and two of yeah. next gen. Yeah. And then they were peppering in some movies so now they're starting to add an episode. So we're getting that. We're now getting Riker's beard episode. Oh, yeah. So that, that when, showed up in like season three. When the stories are getting better. Yes. Yes. So we're getting some Riker's beard episodes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those are in. Yeah. And they're adding in occasionally like 30 minute segments of, of this. From what I gather, it's a CBS All Access show, and it's a teaser, and it's called Below Decks. Oh, yeah, the animated show. The animated show. Yeah, yeah. and that's brand new on top of that, so yes. And so that's that's out there. And I, like I said, I think that's a teaser that, that when I've seen it, it seems like it's the same one. I honestly haven't paid it much attention. Okay. But um, I, I think that's to kind of get you get you on the hook for maybe CBS All Access. I, I can I can understand that. I, I, I mean... We're working our way through uh, Star Trek Discovery right now. Mm-hmm. We wrapped up Enterprise, and oh, I have a special place in my heart forever. I do believe <laughs> I, I, I love that show. Right on it. Enterprise, and oh. I've, I've said it before. I say it again. I enjoyed it. I did. The last season was a little darker than I than I r- typically like my Star Trek, but <laughs> but it was it was good. It was definitely good. You watched you have you already rewatched Voyager? Uh, yes, I've watched Voyager start to finish twice now. So God, yeah. I was thinking the other day is the show. I love Voyager. I lo- oh, I do. I, do, I, do, I, do too. I, lo- I yeah. love Voyager. Yes, it's great. I, I was thinking the other day the the shows that the contemporary shows that I just love. Uh-huh. I've completely almost abandoned at this point. Yeah, I and did. it's just because even even at home, it's just like I've not stopped, and it's even worse. Yeah, 
yeah. And, and I've I've got stuff sitting on DVR that, you know, I've said it before on the show. I'm a big fan of Deadliest Catch. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't finished last season, and we're going to be in the next season, yeah. new season, before I know it. Yeah, I mean, during all of this quarantine downtime, you know, mandatory, mandatory, whatever, whatever we want to call this, I've not watched nearly what. Um, what I see other people saying that they watch, let's just put it that way. And so, I mean, typically I'll catch, you know, one episode, one and a half episodes a day, like while I exercise or, uh, Jackie and I at the, at the end of a day, you know, and, and we'll, we'll watch, we, that's how we did. That's how we consumed enterprise was one episode a day mm-hmm. throughout the entire run of the series. So that's binge watching for me. Okay. Is just, is that, but, like I say, we're 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 almost through season one of Discovery right now, and I, I'll tell you, I I like that. Oh, too. do you? Okay, yeah. I, I had no nothing of Discovery. It's it's interesting in the sense that they definitely explore some backstory on characters that aren't even that aren't even there yet, so to speak, and they don't they haven't shown. But ultimately, um, the production quality on it is just I mean, it's is just off like, the hook good. Is this like mainline characters, or are we getting like the backstory of like the third bounty hunter that was in empire strikes back no. when, when vader walked out this yeah. is ig88's entire backstory yeah, from yeah. when when the 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 material was found in the ground and in, in, in made in the foundry to- no the, no this is uh discovery as i understand it is leading up to the introduction of spock and captain pike okay. and uh the story centers around uh spock's half sister essentially is what is, okay. is what All this right. is what this is doing so uh i never really I, I don't think any well maybe they did and i'm just a, not a good enough fan for not knowing but i never realized that spock had a spock had a half sister and but he does i wasn't aware i mean of yeah. the star trek i've watched i was not what i mean trust me man i've watched well, a lot so. look at um which uh, for new listeners of the show, yeah. this is common. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, we trust us. We get we'll, back we'll, on topic. We'll get back on topic. But yeah, that, trust this us. is what spices our show <laughs> up. Exactly. Um, which which movie was it where Spock's brother or half-brother? Undiscovered country. Undiscovered. So there's your classic trope. We need it, a story. Uh-huh. Let's take a mainline character. And let's invent an offshoot. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a brother. Yeah, exactly. And then, you, then invariably there's the scene where the other mainline characters look at he or she with that weird, you have a, uh-huh. and then there's a, well, yes. And then there's an exchange as to why this never came up. Yeah. And then there's an acceptance and then life goes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and there has now granted, <laughs> there has been a little of that going on because you even have to stretch the you have to stretch canon just a little bit in order to start to weave all of this together but in my mind feeble or shallow or narrow as as it may be um most most all star trek is good star yeah, trek so yeah. so i'm i'm happy for it and i'm glad i'm just i'm glad to have something to watch and it's something that uh, that we as a family all enjoy. And it, now I will say it is Discovery. It's it's for a more mature audience, okay? Because there's there's themes there and there's activities there that are definitely um, sh- definitely shown to embellish the story because they can with the special effects and with the CGI and everything. But it's pretty. Cl- I mean, it's not movie production quality, but it's pretty close. 
It's pretty close. Well, that's interesting for a yeah. show that was on a. Uh, um, it, I mean, CBS is the producer, but I would have thought that even today. Pardon me, even today, the online presence, the online only viewership would be less than typical broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you might get less in terms of commercial revenue from commercials and advertising. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just guessing, but then I, again, I have no idea. When I you mean, throw Star Trek in there, that's a whole curveball. Yeah. There, you know, there are people that would get that service just for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not watching it on service because I wait until it hits Blu-ray and then we watch it. Oh, we okay. watch it that way. Oh, okay. So I, I have no idea how CBS would normally have done sh- it. show it or, mm-hmm. or I, I don't, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, I don't really care, okay. but, but <laughs> I mean, we, we get it a, season at a time so that we can watch it all kind of back to back to back mm-hmm. and um, I'm a media snob so I I want it shown a certain way yeah I get yeah, it yeah but anyway. I, I actually you make me th- uh, think that I, I need to I know from from an exercise perspective you have a st- Stepper or treadmill or both. Um, you're it, able to. You're able to get. Do do a lot of your routine indoors. Y- yes. Right, in yeah. A, on equipment. Yeah. I've got. I've got a Bowflex tread climber, which okay. is what I've got. Yeah. I really need to make space and bring a, a treadmill in because mm-hmm. if anything, it would. It first of all, I'm I'm not a spring chicken anymore, and it would be a lot. It's easier, it's easier on the knees, man. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. And the ankles. Yep. But. I, I could I could better consume content like that, uh, it, even YouTube or gaming content, working out indoors versus outside going for runs. Because then that's where I'm consuming my audio my audio content. Yeah, you know that's more podcast there. So. Yeah, well, and and it's it's good because I've been doing the. The, the teacher self fusion 360 uh, oh yeah type there of scenario yeah. right right while I'm right while I'm working out and then what I do is I watch the videos once to consume them initially just to get an idea for what they're showing and to get the rough cut on what they're doing and mm-hmm. how they're doing it and then I sit back down at my desk and watch it a second time and follow along and and man it works out splendidly yeah that just makes that makes a lot splendidly. of sense splendidly yes give it a good preview mm-hmm. so to speak yeah Yep, it works out really well, and I've—I mean, I've learned a lot about Fusion 360 by just doing that process right there. So yeah, I mean, it works—it works well. So to circle back real quick, check out Pluto TV. You'll love it. And if you don't, uh, there's something wrong with you. Uh, and w- what <laughs> well, I did what are notice, you Star, Star Wars? Yeah, guy? I mean, come on. You know <laughs> what I did notice? We just lost half the listeners. Like, oh my gosh. Right there. It's well, it like, <laughs> one one show you and I talked about. I, who knows when it was, but I know we discussed wh- which of, of which we were a bigger fan, Star Trek or Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And if I recall correctly, we both came down on the Star Trek side. Oh, there's no doubt. Mainly because you've got, yes, you've got the books and stuff that they, that are in and out of canon every two years with Star Wars. And you had some supplemental content uh, up, before the prequels and between, but you never had that consistent content stream like you did with Star Trek. Yeah, and and I all I was just joking when I said that a few minutes ago. So I so understand. I dearly love Star Wars. I do. I always have, but 
I love Star Trek more. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. And, and it's exactly for that because I grew up with Star Trek. I had, I had access to it. It was then TNG came along and I realized there's a gap. I get that. But the entire, but the entire, the, the entire Star Trek universe has been, has been over by and large overly uh, over its entire existence has been, very consistent about how it has respected canon, timeline, the stories, and everything along those lines. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, I didn't have to wait for a movie. I didn't have to wait three and a half years for a two and a half, a two hour movie, and then wait another five years for yeah. another two hour. You movie. had interesting stories and characters and uh, yes. situations that it, were that were in the universe, but not not even directly related. It, I mean, exactly. When yeah, they tried to do that with Star Wars. And, uh, is there really that much story to tell? And well, I, I was about to say they tried to tell in universe stories, but if you think about it, Rogue One, Solo, those were, those were in a, in a, to a degree, an in-depth telling of a, of something that you already kind of knew. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, they, 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 they uncovered details, but they didn't really break new ground. Right. They weren't in the universe. That's, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, And I thought Rogue One was brilliant. Oh, personally. I, I, I really I, liked I, Rogue I, One. I loved Rogue One. I mean, I just thought it was so unique and just such a great, um, uh, just such a great attempt at storytelling rather than relying upon the, uh, the, 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 the characters of old. And, and and even at that, the thing at the end with where the oh, where Vader was put in oh, it, well, that gosh. was added. Well, and, and the reason was is because the Star Trek, the Star Trek, the Star Wars, yeah, the Star Trek fans, the Star Wars fans, they they wanted more Vader, Con they, they wanted, wanted more, more some some continuity. Yeah. Whereas, well, I get it, and it was a good move because at the very end of Rogue One, that was just that was right. that was awesome. Oh, I agree, that was absolutely awesome. But then you look at a Star Trek, uh huh. You know, look look at Voyager. Look, I loved Deep Space Nine. No Kirk, no Picard in Deep Space Nine. Well, there was. Don't let's not get. Yeah, Picard made a visit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was Cisco, and it was Kira, and it was Dax, and yeah. it was Worf, and you had a little Deep Space Nine is not the best example of what I'm discussing here. You had a little tie to that known stuff, but it was its own thing. It's its own thing. So any, no anyway, yeah, I, but yeah, yeah, you're right. We've talked about this on past episodes, and it always bears repeating. There's no doubt about it, but. I, yeah, I get where you're coming from, man. Star Trek just, it was the gift that kept on giving every single week. That was the mm -hmm. thing about it for me. It was always there. The characters were super approachable and they had enough time to be developed <clears throat> into somebody, somebody you could, you could love. So one thing I noticed here and the tide again, back to the Pluto TV, I have not noticed this with the other channels. Uh, we, I put the URL directly to the, the Star Trek channel yeah. in our show notes. It is Star Trek. So it's Pluto.tv Pluto slash live-tv slash star-trek-one. Uh-huh. So if you go to the Baywatch channel or you go to um, <laughs> Unsolved, the Adams, Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries, Mysteries. Yeah. Uh, the Adams Family, any of the other channels that focus on one series, even, even if it's a, 
even if it's a series that has different like offshoots, like the CSI channel, there's a CSI channel. There's not a dash one. The CSI is like CSI Miami. It's not even like, you know, classic CSI in Vegas. Okay. But Star Trek has the dash one after it. So it makes me kind of wonder if there's already, if they're already lining up to have maybe a dash two that might do Voyager or deep space nine or TOS or something. If if they're going to give us that much goodness, I may, I may have to return the return the favor with time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) May have to invest in Pluto.tv to do some investment. I don't don't know. Inquiring minds want to know, but the diet, the dash one, when I saw that URL in my browser, I was like, Ooh, what does that mean? Nice. Yeah. So, Anyway, that's my updates. Star Trek and tons and tons of part sorting. Well, you know something that's not a bad series of updates because you got you got good stuff going on and you're watching the best entertainment known to man. So what 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 all can we say that would eclipse that? Outside of <laughs> No, I'm just outside. Jo- outside of. No, I'm just joking. It, with mine, with my update, Brent, it, it my updates, Brent, it has been much the same because Ultimately, what I have found is that I've made progress on a few things and I have spent some time on some other things, mostly like, uh, you know, <coughs> uh, 3D printing. I just, 3D I printing. just actually clicked my, my, my URL. I'm watching Star Trek. <laughs> That's fine. It's all good. It, for that, for that, I will give you a pass. Okay. Hold on, well, hold on wait a minute. Blue Thunder's on the 80s Rewind channel. Oh, okay, so I may okay. have to jump over for some classic Roy Schneider. <laughs> well, just mute your microphone oh. while, while, while you're cheering them on. Did I ever okay. tell you I had this fascination with helicopters when I was a child? I still oh. wanted to learn how to fly Helicopter. That would be that would be sweet, especially one like Airwolf. That, yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been yeah, the oh, pinnacle of it, no doubt. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all good. So, man, I have I have renamed my efforts here on shopping my pins. Uh, I'm going to call it Pin Shop 2020, and I even uh, I'm going to trademark that at some point. So I would appreciate nobody going out and grabbing that or anything. <laughs> Let me check that URL. Yeah, URL yeah, just, availability. Yeah, just ma- make sure that's available so I can grab it here after the show. But I, I'm I am working my way through this massive uh, accidental effort on shopping every single one of my pins, and uh, it, it's been a good thing. There's no doubt because uh, I, I mean, Brent, all of my pins are home use only. So how much how much wear and tear do they really see? Not that much. You'd be surprised. But though. but the thing is, you would be surprised, and that's exactly right. And so uh, you know, I've gotten several titles finished up over. Uh, the past couple of months, and uh, just between episode 91 and, and now, I finished up Ghostbusters, and uh, this is something that I have talked about twice. I'm sorry, so- I'm sorry, I, I, I lost track. R- Riker's doing Tai Chi. Oh, no, oh, is that right? <laughs> now, did he flip his leg over the chair before no, he no, sat down when he was done? It's, uh, it looks like it looks like Tai Chi, but Worf is God is leading the class with uh, Jordy and Troy. So oh, I, I remember, I've yeah, I remember that episode. Turn us off. Yeah, it, it's a, it's all good. <laughs> So I've mentioned this. Uh, this technology, this internet thing is going to catch on. <laughs> it's going to catch on. It's, I have installed uh, Brent my Swinks replacement targets that were that are meant to reduce uh, air balls or okay. ball hop on, yep. on Ghostbusters. Uh, now, uh, folks that have been listening to the show may remember that I ordered those several episodes back from Shapeways, and they take a while to be printed and to deliver because they, they're essentially 3D printed metal, and the, the quality oh, well, on them is really good. So um, 
How long did it take to get them? It probably took a month. That long? Yeah, three week, three weeks to a month. So, yeah. and, and the reason I ask that is there's a uh, um, there's a gentleman out of California who runs a YouTube channel called Ampro Engineering, and it focuses on RC car stuff, classic RC car stuff. Yeah, and uh, he does a ton of 3D modeling. I, I get the feeling he does it for a living yeah because it's just so na- it seems just like oh i just designed this y- and, yeah but there's only like three people that might want it yeah you know because he did it anyway yeah yeah and, and but he wanted it so he did it. he puts it on a shapeway store and a couple of the parts he offers for from some classic tamiya cars come in they're printed in metal yes versus like a nylon yeah yeah but it took that long it took that long it really did and i don't know if that's just an indicator of shapeways being that busy or if they just have that much lead time built in or if it's the materials or i i I just i I don't know but it took that long and so uh, i installed those targets um i had to do a little bit of work on the targets to get them to fit properly and to make sure that i had enough clearance above the play field for switch actuation and, mm-hmm. and everything like that but ultimately they they turned out absolutely perfect but i will say this for anybody who is considering or ordering them just be aware of the of the wait time and then i had to do um I, I did i had to do a little bit of dremel shaping work with a with a cutoff wheel inside the um inside the target mounting bracket itself the the little relief where it slides over the the bracket mounting um i guess it's like a locating tab so to speak in in the the shapeways targets the swings targets didn't exactly fit over that locating so tab let's, properly let's back up a second i'm trying yeah. to remember from the picture from last month did you have to disassemble because the the it, you're, these are fixed these are the fixed targets yeah that are to the left and right of the center ramp uh it's the um I know it's to the, there's one, I can't see my game. From it's here. hold on. Let me hang, hang so, tight. So the, the, this, and this comes up in a lot of games, not just ghostbusters, but ghostbusters seems to be the worst about it in that you, you hit these targets with such force and intention that it's not uncommon for the ball to, you know, you're going up the play field. So you got a little angle going on. And then as the target kind of deflects, it'll actually, when the ball rebounds, it'll actually, the ball will get air airborne. Yeah. So you'll have all, it'll, it'll just be, it'll be everywhere. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, I wanted, I looked on your machine because I wanted to make sure that I called the ramp by the proper name mm-hmm. rather than just describing where it is. It's the ramp that uh, sits in between the two X and the three X play field multiplier uh, targets. Mm-hmm. And it's the ramp that leads to the subway is okay. what it does. So it, the ramps on the, the interest of the ramp is on the left, but of course it, it goes, you know, you go up the ramp, it goes through the city and then it goes down into the subway is okay. what it does. So it's the, it's those two targets targets but if so you, did you have to, so those those targets would have been, have been riveted to get riveted together did you have to drill them apart and get the blades apart and then put the spacer in there so they angle it now or how? No, no 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 this it, it, you don't do anything with the with the target itself it's the bracket the target mounts on okay yeah so so the it re-angles the whole thing it, by re-angles, adjusting it the bracket. re-angles the entire okay. assembly by the bracket not okay the, not the target you leave the target alone but the target has got a locator pin to, that homes it into the bracket so that it they oh, lock in place yeah in that um that recess area inside the swings target at least for at least for my two targets 
it was not wide enough to accept the target so that it all made it back together as a press fit to just pop out, change over, pop right back in. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a fair amount of Dremel work on it in order to get it to, um, in order for the target to lay down into the bracket so did you, via the locator. did you Dremel on the target or did you Dremel on the, the Swinks piece? No, I Dremeled on the Swinks piece because if I ever want to switch back to stock brackets, I can, yeah. I can do that. So no, I don't, I didn't Dremel on anything on the game. I Dremeled, uh, I just widened that locating area on gotcha. the swings. Okay, target. just cut, cut yeah, it out. So a bit. I, I changed no geometry. I just I just widened that hole so that the the target <laughs> would actually fit in. You know the what bracket. that sounds like to me? It sounds like a production change. It, it's it should have been because not I was, on the swing side. I bet he or she. I don't know who swings who is. swings is. Yeah, I think it's a he. When when that target was modeled, uh-huh. it. I bet there's a difference between that game oh, and yeah. your game. I bet there is. Yeah, I bet there is because both of them require both of them required it, and um, and that so that's fine. And I, I first made a mention of this back in episode 88. In case anybody is curious about that, that was back in in February. But ultimately, uh, I've got them on now, and I can tell where they will do the good. So it's it's interesting to see how they they angle that target just ever so slightly back down towards the play field Mm -hmm. so that when the ball hits, the ball is pushed back down onto the play field rather than just popping up in the air, you know, via, via force and everything. So I was so happy because that was the last thing I had to do to Ghostbusters. And I, uh, I, I buttoned it up and then I am underway on my Star Trek. And then after Star Trek, I've just got Iron Man left to do. And then I'm going to do a little work on my, on my TNA, not because it needs it, but just because I've got a few, um, got a few mods to, to put on it. So I'm going to pull it back in my room and just, uh, and just get those done because I, I have come to the point, Brent, where I don't want to work on my pinball machines in my game room. So I pull everything back to my workroom and I just, I'm just saying, listen, the game will just sit until I get it back in my yep. workroom. Then I'll I work on that. it in my workroom. I do not want stuff pulled apart in my game room. I'm done with that. Absolutely. I'm over that. So, well, if you want to use the game room, you got something set in the floor and it makes it difficult. Cause I've been to your house and I, I know I, I've been in there and you've been working on, on X game and I've done the same thing here. Yeah. And it's just, it just, it, it, it yeah. ruins the experience. It ruins the experience. Yeah. It really does. Yes. Yes. Take a look to your left right there at my high speed and the, the Russie here, the three targets, Right in the center, right up the middle. The the, the uh, stoplight targets. Yeah. yeah. So either side of that, uh-huh. there should be a post. Yeah. And I think on that post, there's a yellow like pyramid shaped rubber. Yeah. It looks like it's blown out. Well, no, no, it's upside down. Oh, it's uh, upside it's, down. It's, it's the the narrow part. The so I'm at. Oh, that would be it. Then. A, a post yeah. rubber. Yeah. I, I don't know if people have ever seen these, but if you go look at Marco or Pinball Life or whoever. And look at the selection of post rubbers. I don't know what the technical term for it is, but it's got a taper. It's a conical shape. It's got a taper. Yeah. And so that's a trick there for a post, a fixed post that that's common to cause air balls. You get one of those tapered conical rubber post rubbers and you turn it upside down. So the fat parts at the top and the narrow parts at the bottom, it'll push down on the ball. It'll keep the ball from getting airborne off that post. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah, those targets are like straight in line with the flippers. I mean, they'll, uh, they'll get, they get a solid hit. And if a post say you can do the same thing with a ramp entrance, if, 
just depending on the spacing, because those those conical rubbers, the the wider part, the fatter part's got, I don't know, maybe about the size of a smaller than a quarter, oh, yeah. U.S. quarter. Probably more like a nickel. More like a nickel. Yeah. But so if you've got them really mated up against a ramp entrance or something else, you might not have room or you might have to shave a side off. But uh-huh. that that's a good trick if yeah. you've got a fixed post that's apt to give you air balls. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that, that looks good. And I see what you're talking about now because previously it looked like the it, it looked like that that post rubber was just like kind of kind of mushroomed out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, yeah. that's actually it's just, upside down. It's a con, it's yeah. a conical rubber, <laughs> the post down. rubber upside down. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that now. Okay, good deal. Well, so that that's what I've been doing game wise is uh, just just continuing to push through on on the shop on the shop jobs on my pins. Um, I've got a few other projects that, that have been kind of related to that, but I'll, I'll save those for when I'm done and I've actually got something there to talk about because I, I don't want to talk about something that's half, that's kind of half baked or anything, but that's my job. It, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> it, but as, as far as non arcade related stuff, I have been continuing down the, uh, the rabbit hole that is 3D design and 3D printing. I have had my 3D printer running almost, again, another month of nonstop. I've been just wearing my way through a couple spools of filament. And I will talk about what I'm doing with that Are filament. Are you buying those big, like, five kilogram? No, I'm still doing the two, two, the two kilogram spools. But... Um, I need a better spool holder if I'm going to go with a five kilogram. You haven't spool. printed one yet. <laughs> um, I I have not printed a spool holder yet, but uh, Porchy, my buddy Porchy in the UK, he printed a desk mounted spool holder that sits on the desk and it has ba- and, and it has essentially roller bearings. It has two roller bearings in the let's say like in the spool. Uh, holder itself and then the spool rolls on those rolls oh, on those bearings so instead of having an axle with the bearings on it it's yes. got like uh, it's, yeah yeah it's almost like a it's almost like a receiver with with a uh, with like a bearing floor on it gotcha and you sit it you sit the spool on that and then the spool just rolls gotcha. as, yep. as it's un- yep. as it's unwound and i i need to i do need to do that because uh I'm telling you, Brent, this, this gets serious, man. Once, once you start getting into it, it's like, Oh, Oh, I know. And it's everywhere. My printers in the, in, in my upstairs. Oh my gosh. You want to talk about another fork of a conversation that I don't need to bore people with. Well, we, we did it last month. The the room upstairs. Yeah. (laughs) My room upstairs that I was cleaning out, but is now accumulating more crap. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, I'll go in there to get something and I'll, I'll see my printer sitting there. I'm like, I've got to do something with this printer. I've got to get back in the swing of things, but yeah, there it is. Yeah, I get it. And the one thing that I will say is um, a couple of outstanding things. And, and I've been, the printer's been running well enough that I've not wanted to take it down because I've wanted to get through a few key prints for some stuff that I, that I'm, that I'm kind of working on. Mm -hmm. But now that I, I, and I finished up quote unquote, those key prints yesterday. So now I'm at a point where I'm going to install my auto bed leveling sensor, what's called an ABL. And I'll get into that. Um, hopefully next month, hopefully I've got it done, uh, by, by the next time we record and I'll, I'll get into details on that and everything thing as to what all was involved there but i chose just for anybody else who might be curious i chose to go with a sensor called the easy abl Mm -hmm. instead of the bl touch and um i'll get into that and you've got an ender three which an ender three pro yes okay so and i because i recall 
don't the doesn't doesn't Creality have something now that already has an ABL on it? Yes, they do. I think it's the Ender. Uh, it's the either the Ender Five or the Ender Six. It comes with a. It comes with an ABL. What happened to the Ender install? Four? I Did, don't. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. It fell off a cliff. I don't know. It was. It was pushed. I mean, who knows, did, man? Did they go? Did they go the Windows route? And we're just. Oh, we're just going to skip everything up and work ten. Yeah. Welcome to ten. Yeah, welcome. To, welcome to ten. You know but, the effects on this are phenomenal. This is the recut from the DV, <laughs> the Blu-ray release where they re-edited the show. Yeah, you can you can see the light glisten off. Picard's head. Yes, it is amazing. So, I, and, and I will, <laughs> and I think I, I think we've talked about this on the show. And I will stand by that the Blu-ray remaster. That's what these TNG, and especially TOS. The Blu-ray remasters of TOS are out of this world because they went in and they added additional CGI effects for space, for the planets. It's like all the planets actually have texture and color and land masses instead of just being a green ball of gas. Thing, things like that, that might it's be a little too amazing. much for TOS. I, I mean, don't know, man. There's there's certain charm in TOS when you when they pull out and they're they're you know Spock leans against the control panel that the, the side station and it bends. Well, that yeah. and then you can tell that like the the screen that's in the upper portion it's of the paper. control is paper. Yeah, there's there's yeah, charm I, in that. I, I get that, but. The, but the, the the color correction they did makes all the uniforms just really vibrant and rich, and the in the in the bridge looks amazing for what it is. And I'm not going to say it pops, okay? <laughs> because I just I know just the seething, just anxiety that goes with that. Oh man, that really pops, you know? <laughs> it just oh Brent, they they this, redid it and it just made it this pop. Is a, this is a Riker's beard episode. Too, is by it? The, oh, uh, you, go uh, ahead, you're, you're living top shelf then. <laughs> But um, but yes, the, the, there, there'll be there'll be Star Trek updates through the course of the show. <laughs> the TOS remasters for anybody who cares, they're you've got to watch them. They're absolutely amazing, and, and so that would really be uh, the extent of I guess my updates this month, Bren. I mean, it's it it's been all pinball, a hundred percent pinball. But I do have some arcade stuff in in the wings. Um, l- let me ask you something real quick. Are you a big Jamma harness, jamma adapter kind of guy. Do you? At one point in time, I had a couple of jamma cabinets down here, and uh-huh. but they've been gone for years. Okay, yeah. all right. Now well, I, I keep a for a, for a test rig. I do keep a jamma harness, uh-huh. and I have a, a sizable selection of jamma adapters, and I also have a generic uh, generic jamma breakout board. Yeah, so I can plug right into my jamma harness, and then there's there's taps on this PCB uh-huh. that in they're marked. It says player one fire player yeah, two. Yeah. So you know, can wire this. stuff up. And I, yeah, I can just, that, yeah, that way I'm not like just hook into like the, you know, eyelets on a connector. Yeah, so yeah, that that's where it ends right now. Yeah, fair, yeah. fair enough. Well, why do you ask? Uh, well, because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fortifying myself on, on the JAMA side for sure. So I, because I've not really had a good, bench test setup for for like testing a lot of my a lot of my own boards i've had to wheel a cabinet in or do this or do that but i've been doing some work on the jamma side but i'll get it i'll get into that when it's when it's complete and it and it's actually a story to tell so so there there's that but um 
That, yeah, Brent, that's that's the size of it. I mean, I know when I looked at it on the page, it didn't really look like a lot. And then when I talk about it, I don't, I still don't feel <laughs> well, like there's it's a really lot of, a lot. But well, there's a lot of Star Trek talking there. Too. Well, there was that, but sh- dude, I'm gonna tell you, man, um, shopping modern Sterns is a time investment. Okay, it, it's just due to the sheer amount of stuff oh yeah there's layers to, it's, it's it's layers of la- it's layers upon layers it's, it's like uh what did, how did they say what do you say in shrek oh being an ogre is like an onion there's, it, it, there's layers there, that's exactly <laughs> something right. to that effect yeah and so by the time the, oh mr bean is on hold on <laughs> <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just pause between segments and let you catch this up. How about that? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just so ma- it's just so many hours involved in shopping in shopping one of those pens. But uh, and especially when you're doing it 25 minutes at a time, that yeah. that's the, that it, that right there is the issue, you know, because it's it's the pickup, start up, set down, you know, spin down walk back to it the same night you know, or later that night, mm-hmm. do another 25 minutes worth of work. And th- that's what you get. But f- you know, ultimately it does get done. I, I get that, man. Yeah. Like, you know, the shopping one is, is pretty, it, there's a lot to it. Uh-huh. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, in all, all seriousness, you've yeah. got layers of, of things piled into these modern games. Oh yeah. And, it's and I, I've kind of been going through the same thing to revisit again with the, the all those parts. Yeah, some of it is just time limit, but honestly, right now I'm at the I just kind of went past it. So yeah. I, even if I go to set time aside to do it, it's like I just got to talk myself into it. <laughs> I, I, I know and, because you know what you're going to get yourself into. Yeah. It's like uh, this is going to consume me for the next week and a half or two weeks or whatever it is. So Brent, uh, right, real quick before we before we get into our next segment, I'm going to call this the uh, <clears throat> quote unquote the two word department, okay? Because we've got examples of two words why August 2020 has not been kind to us as a human race, okay? <laughs> so two words number one. Now feel I just uh, this this tore me up when I saw this. Two words, number one, is Chadwick Boseman. Brent, I could not, and for everybody else who's listening, I, I was stunned, beyond stunned, when I saw the news about the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Just as we are recording this, literally three days ago. The gentleman was 43 years old, battled colon cancer for four years, and he was fighting that throughout his entire run of playing T'Challa, Black Panther, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe through all three of the movies that he appeared in. And, uh, yeah, it it hit me almost as hard as when I saw the news about Stan Lee. It really, really did because of just the, the sheer tragicness of the situation Yet, yet the way that he handled himself, unbeknownst to any of us throughout the, that entire process, he was he was battling colon cancer as I, as he was playing that character is just unbelievable. When I first saw it, it it came across as a typical like Facebook not meme thing, but so yeah. much on Facebook crosses by as, as a graphic. Yes, to, I guess that, yeah, Atten- that's the attention. It's a, it's thing. a grab. Yes, and I was like, "There's no way." Yeah. I mean. To to have an A level part in the 
in the MCU. Yeah. And to, to, to be able to get into the physical condition that that demands. Yeah. While battling cancer. The, I said, there's no way this could be true. Yeah. And then I, they said chemotherapy. He was going through chemotherapy and everything. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he turned in those performances. performances. And, and I will be, I will be the first to admit that I did not really know the, the filmography Okay, of Chadwick Boseman, because I just had not seen other movies that that he had been in. But I went back and I spent some time, went back and looked at some of his filmography. And of course, he played Jackie Robinson. He played uh, Thurgood Marshall. I mean, just uh, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. Just, uh, I I mean, uh, amazing Amazing performance there from from what I've seen seen of that and uh, James Brown as well. So, I mean, he, and that's and that's just the that's just the more notable ones of of recent years that I picked up for you know for mentioning here. But his, I mean, his his legacy as to uh, the films that he has been in. I mean, it's 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 very very impressive and. Um, I'm I'm as big a fan of the MCU and Marvel and the comics as as I think uh, you could find, and uh, and I wear that proudly on my you know on my shoulder on my chest whatever. I dearly dearly love that franchise and those characters, and uh, and, and that that hit that hit pretty hard. And I will say this, uh, you know, Black Panther was not ultimately was not my most favorite MCU movie, but it was way up there. Okay. Way up there. And, uh, and the performance was just his, his portrayal of that character was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So again, you know, I, like I said, when, when I saw the news, I was, I was shocked. I thought there's of what, He's such a young was such a young person. Yeah, forty three years old. I mean, just and then to hear said that pre- to hear what yeah. what he just what he what you I can only imagine what he was dealing with and filming on top of that and keeping himself in defeat, uh peak physical condition and yeah. it just I I, I can't even <laughs> fathom yeah that and then like you said it turned in the performance that yeah. he did and it, it, it's just. It's 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 remarkable, is what it is. And now I'm I'm at this point where I am going to go back, and I'm going to do this again. I'm going to rewatch the entire MCU again, just so that I can see Black Panther in context and see that and see Chadwick Boseman play that character again, so that I can watch it through a different set of lenses. And I'm going to love it even more. I know I will. I, I, I sitting here. I know I will. It, just because it, it's it's one of those reverence building types of uh, it's 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 the knowledge of reverence is what it is. And um, I, my my heart just goes out to him and his family and and everything. I just I just can't even imagine. It's so you noted crazy. the other the couple other movies here. I guess honestly, I should go back and take a look at his filmography. Is yeah. is there other things that let me? I have to go look. I'm just I'm I'm just wondering if there's other other movies, maybe someplace where I would have seen him. And and then granted here. 
from a movie perspective, I've talked about this on the show before. When I go to a movie, I, I go for entertainment, like on, on the lighter side. I know at the end of the day, no matter how dire the situation, Black Panther is going to come out of it. Yeah. You know, I know that that Thor is going to come out of it. I know that in Solo, Chewie lives. Chewie lives. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> no matter how many close calls, uh, you know, not that I don't get wound up in them, but I don't tend, I do not tend to go and watch a heavy Film. Well, see, and, and that's, and I so, freely admit, Brent, I'm the same way. I watch films for the escapism yeah. and the, the, uh, the fantastical delivery of, of just a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in the heavier stories, that it's like I don't really want to invest two hours and be drugged down per se. And maybe some real life stories are not that, but. So something something like Thurgood, yeah. I I mean, I freely admit, you know, the um, the 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 film Marshall about Thurgood Marshall. I freely admit that would not have been my first choice right, on right. a Saturday night. Yeah, just because exactly. Of, and it has nothing to do with the individual. It just has to do with uh, whether it's a biography or something like that. I would I would really have to know what was going on. Because I I typically want those those uplifting types of stories, not you know not not the serious story. I it, guess it, it where I'm going with that is kind of just to, to play on what you said. It makes me wonder what what else is out there that he has done. Yeah, and I need to b- because see. what he brought to to Black Panther is that character. Uh huh. It, it, <laughs> it was amazing. Well, I, I'm going to tie this back to something else that, that's been a hot topic of the show. If you think of how Patrick Stewart played Picard because of his background, yeah. and his background was very Shakespearean, and to me, he elevated that cast because even though he's in this fantastical science fiction, he's out. If, if you think about it, he's a fish out of water in terms Completely of Completely out of his element, yeah. But he brought that background to the part. And if you think of how, how, um, how Chadwick Boseman played T'Challa, yeah. he was he, – he was – very serious. I mean, he played the oh. part as if this was his real life. Yeah, like he was this born ruler of of Wakanda. Of Wakanda, and so it just makes me wonder what what else is in his background. What uh, what what's in what's what's it, where where does his acting chops yeah. brought up? Well, I, and and I, I will I will play off what you just said is that um, Bozeman elevated the character that he played mm-hmm. because he did it with such um with with such dignity and and with with such civility and he and he had an air of um I mean, he, 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 he was, was that character. He was that character. I mean, he, he had an air of elegance and nobility that, that he completely endowed upon that character of T'Challa, Black Panther, you you could see. I mean, was he a superhero? Yes, but was he regal? Was he noble? And was he royalty? Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because even the way he walked and the way he held himself, he was able to put that into that character, and you could see it. And no other character in the MCU franchise 
held himself the way that Chadwick Boseman held his character. Yep. And, and it was, I mean, it was a performance in a character of a lifetime. There's no doubt about it. And it does make me want to go see some of his other well, movies. This makes me want to sure. see, uh, get on, was it, so the way you've got this list, yeah, get the on movies up. get on up and he, he plays the part of James Brown. He plays the part of so James Brown. Yeah. I, I am, I'm not, I, I, I like blues music, Yeah, you know, and, and probably more of a pedestrian blues fan. Not, not, I don't, I don't know. No, I get it. I, I don't know it. the, di- but I enjoy that style of music. Yeah. I always have. Yeah. And, uh, of course that, that encompasses James Brown. There's yeah. nothing like a good, you know, good James Brown album. That's right. So, but you know, I don't, I won't run in a circle necessarily that I'm going to pick up on this see, is most that, likely as a biographical just, that, movie. See, and that's me as well. And, and so, but now this makes me want to go see this movie. It, it really, it really does. And and if anything, it just, it just shows, um, it just, just how pedestrian I am to some degree, because I would see Chadwick Boseman, uh, in the MCU long, long before I would ever see some of his other work. I freely admit that, but that's where my interests tend to lie. But I will tell you, I'm, I, I, I will also admit it when I, when I recognize that talent, then it, then it legitimizes to me saying, Oh, don't watch an MCU movie. Go watch, get on up because it's going to be equally, if not more rewarding. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's really, Really where I'm getting at. Yeah. The second two words that just make August just a, uh, uh, just, yeah, uh, blue ribbon winner here. And this is, this is so recent, Brent, but Kurt Vendell uh, confirmed has passed away uh, yesterday, being August 30th. We're recording this again on the 31st. Kurt Vendell, he was the co-author with Marty Goldberg on Atari Incorporated Business is Fun and a long-standing member in the Atari community from a uh, historian and just community contribution standpoint. And uh, that news just broke earlier today. So um, we we caught it in time for the recording. And uh, again, uh, completely unexpected uh, series of events here, but uh, our hearts and minds go out to the to the Vendell family because uh, Kurt brought a, a significant amount of um, knowledge and in, in historical historical reference in, into the Atari community, and uh, it's it's just such a shame to hear that. Such so, a shame. Yeah, I know the name, and um, and I know your your passion for books like this. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this I've, is, I've read it. It's, yeah. Oh, this was, I, I want to tell you it's, it's a tough read, uh, but it, it is. is it a tough read? It's just, a tough read because it, or <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of your hopes and dreams no, kind of dashed no. in, in, in realizing what actually happened in, you know, quote unquote in the kitchen of yeah, Atari. So, some of it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Some of it, because it truly was business. Okay. Oh and, yeah. And you get that and, and you realize that. And, and um, it, it does paint the it does paint the lens of youth a little bit differently, uh, or you see you see it through a different uh, lens than than I did when I was young. But ultimately, they were in the business of fun, and and I, I give them that. But it, the the editing on the book is just it, it makes reading it con- in a contiguous manner very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the content is there. Okay, it it is a great book content wise, but uh, it suffers from it suffers from 
editing and some grammatical issues and sentence structure and uh, tense tense switching and stuff like that. But is the book worth reading? Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because what you will learn about Atari is you're not going to get that anywhere else. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's not that stuff aside that you mentioned that that's I'm sure that just by the title, that's, that's the goal of the book yeah. is to, to get yeah. those stories out and yeah. tell those stories. Yeah. And, so and it's that, good from that regard. Just, just no, no going into it that it, it is, it is a bit more of a challenging read. Well, like I said, I'm familiar with the name, but I, I'm sure that comes from having heard of this book and then, um, uh, retro gaming roundup uh-huh. because oh, yeah. the retro gaming roundup crew, they stay in tight, you know, contact with the historians yes, and do. the actual people yeah. in the industry, yeah. arcade, pinball, video game. Yeah. Uh, They're probably one of the best podcasts for that, seriously, because they seem to have reach within Atari and television. I mean, you ColecoVision, you, ColecoVision, you name it. They, they, yeah. 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 Ninten- they do. And Nintendo and uh-huh. they, 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 they cover arcade pinball and, and video games. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Like, like console video games. Yeah. Con- but, yeah console yeah. games. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess not wanting to wrap up the segment on a down note, but definitely want to, uh, just be respectful and just say again, Chadwick Boseman, uh, and Kurt Vendell, uh, loss, uh, two completely different talents, but, uh, losses to the community overall, uh, from just a pop culture and in, 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 uh, you know, technology and in art perspective, just huge, huge losses, losses to the community. And, uh, I'm glad tomorrow's September. Let's just say that. <laughs> Come on, September. Come on, September. Yay. All right. Uh, so Brent, uh, with that, we're going to, uh, go ahead and take a little break and then we'll get into our next segment. And, uh, what we've got here is one of the panel discussions from the 2019 Portland Retro Gaming Expo when uh, when I attended with uh, a friend of the show and, and friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Jim Hale. And uh, Jim and I set numerous sem- seminars through PRG, and uh, that show is just fantastic for the seminars. It's, I mean, it's it's all it's pretty much unequaled uh, that I've seen. And this, uh, and, and I was fortunate because I took my recorder with me, my Zoom recorder, and I and I did open air recordings. And I do want to caveat this: this is an open air recording, but it's not. But the sound is actually pretty good because I set up front. I got my recorder close to a speaker and uh and and i i caught i I caught pretty good audio for this even though again it is open air um but ultimately um recorded every seminar that I went to and we did contact the, or I did contact the organizers of PRGE and they cleared us to reduce to, um, to release the, uh, the seminar audio. So, uh, over the next four or five episodes, we're going to, we're going to feature one panel, uh, per episode. And, uh, that way it'll kind of break up a little bit of the content and, and hopefully it'll be interesting and, and everybody will learn something as well. But this first one was a personal favorite of mine. This was a panel that was, uh, called Dan Kitchen's Gold Rush, and this is a panel uh, by Dan Kitchen, his brother Gary Kitchen, and uh, last but not least, uh, the uh, esteemed Mr. David Crane. 
And so if you're not familiar with Dan and Gary Kitchen uh, or David Crane, uh, I, I would have to think you would be. But if you're not, just real quick, Dan and Gary, uh, the Kitchen brothers, they uh, have a, a very distinguished uh, resume in game development, uh, working for working for and developing games for the Atari 2600. Um, they went over as uh, as developers at Activision, and their resumes are just incredible. Like with Dan Kitchen, um, you know, Crackpots, Kung Fu Masters, Ghostbusters. Um, let's see, uh, Tomcat, uh, just, you know, the list kind of goes on and on Ghostbusters too. And then Gary kitchen, of course, was the developer on uh, Donkey Kong for Coleco. Um, oh, you he, mean that, that near perfect arcade. Po- I mean, that Donkey <laughs> Kong is gorgeous. It's, it's tough. Isn't it? I mean, it's Donkey Kong. <laughs> well, but, it's, it's, eh. it's tough. Um, but there is a whole story behind that, actually, that, that is pretty interesting. Uh, pressure Cooker, Activision title, and uh, I mean, who could ever forget Keystone Capers? I mean, in my mind, one of the one of the best titles that Activision released for the twenty six hundred. Uh, a couple U.S. games, uh, Space Jockey, Sneak and Peek, um, and, and you know the list goes on. And then David Crane, of course, Pitfall, Pitfall Two, um, you know Ghostbusters, uh, Dragster, Laser Blast. Fish he did and little computer people on the he, Commodore sixty four. He did, yeah, yeah. He I, sure I never did. played that game, but I have I, I've heard about it in recent times, and I have a a passing fancy with it because it's like a simulation type thing. It is. And you can literally let it run. Yeah. And it's incredibly detailed on top of that. I'm uh, there. There's a, uh, a thing that I've heard recently and actually uh, I'll mention uh, Rob again later. Uh, I've heard of uh, from Rob O'Hare who's a big Commodore 64 person called a, a bare metal 64. And it's a image you can put on a raspberry Pi that doesn't run on raspy and it runs right on the pie. Uh huh. And it emulates very well a C64. And I thought about throwing one of those up just to have one around because I was a C64 kid. Yeah. And that's one of the games I wanted to, I I, kind of wanted to throw on a $25 early pie that I have laying around and just let it run and see what it does. See what it does. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, we ought to talk about the C64 at some point because that's a a system that I did not have a lot of exposure to growing up. Uh, Leave. Exactly. (laughs) But... um, Sorry, we've still got a show to do. Oh, but, no, this is over. <laughs> but uh, Mike's still running. But um, it's something that, I, that I've that i developed something of an interest in over time. And I, I, I'll have to talk with okay, you about yeah, that cool. off mic because I, I think at some point... Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe three or four episodes down the road, I'd almost like to do a segment on the C64 and just, and just kind of dig into it a little bit. But, but anyway, there, so that, that's like the most notable, uh, game titles out of the resume, but it, but there, the list goes on and on. And I only pick those out because that's what I'm familiar with on the Atari and Activision and the 8 bit computers and, and things like that. But again, um, a panel discussion and, uh, Dan is talking about an upcoming game brand new game called dan kitchen's gold rush which is the successor or a sequel to keystone capers and it's a brand new atari 2600 game being developed for release in 2020 and um, if you've not checked it out 
Go to dankitchengames.com. Take a look at some of the uh, some of the pictures, the the work in progress pictures. And uh, Dan Kitchen's Gold Rush is based off of. I won't tell the whole story. Dan will get into it, but it's based off of work that he did back at Activision, and then shelved, and then pulled out of mothballs thirty years later, and is finishing. So it's it's a it's a great story, and we get a sequel to Keystone Capers, which is even that much better. So everybody, sit back. Uh, please forgive a little bit of uh, thump and crackle in the audio if you hear it from time to time. That was me just kind of moving stuff around, and I apologize. But the content more than makes up for it. Dan Kitchen's Gold Rush at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo 2019. Hello and welcome everyone to, uh, uh, to this session at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Uh, my name is Dan Kitchen and I have the honor of being with Gary Kitchen, my brother, fellow game designer, and of course, David Crane, one of the co-founders of Activision. The, uh, the panel uh, is, uh, is entitled Dan Kitchen's Gold Rush, and actually, I'm gonna touch on that for just a minute, but uh, the panel is much, much more than that. It's, uh, it's really about Activision, the Activision memories uh, that the three of us enjoyed while working there. Um, so it's really not a panel specifically about that game. Um, to briefly touch on that, that was a game that I had started at Activision in 1983. Um, Gary's uh, smash hit Keystone Capers had just come out and he had moved on to Pressure Cooker at the time and I had finished my Crackpots game and I had started playing with some displays and doing a little train display and I think Gary had mentioned, hey, why don't you put Keystone Kelly up there and inevitably the, the ROM or the video you see online as a prototype of this um, was, was coming around when at Activision the 1983 crash occurred and they pulled us off the Atari and I, I actually made a cartridge of that little prototype, put it away, it was lost for time and, uh, and just last year happening to clean out one of my storage facilities I found the original ROM and uh, showed it to Gary and to a number of people and our friends at the National Video Game Museum were excited to accept it as a donation. And about that time, Gary had turned me on to some, some new tools to write 2600 games. And so I decided to take the game I had started in 1983 and finally finish it. And so since I do not have the rights to Keystone Kelly or Keystone Capers, I renamed it Gold Rush. Um, I was hoping to have it released this year, but, uh, but I'm gonna be releasing it sometime early in, in 2020. Um, you can go to my site uh, to check out updates on it, and I have a series of collectible trading cards that I'm giving out at the shows that I frequent throughout the year, and you can come up here and get your collectible trading card for this year's Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and one of the things that will be available when the game ships will be a set of trading cards for all of the characters. Uh, I'm hoping to create or recreate the essence of Activision, so 2600 games, the game will have patches you can win, uh, and really trying to bring, really trying to trying to bring back a lot of the things that Dave and 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 Al and Bob and Larry did at Activision, which was to really put you in the game, and to create a fan club and create buzz about that. And I have some other games to follow up, and uh, 
that's uh, that's it for Gold Rush. So thank you for for coming, thinking that you would be hearing that. But I really want to open it up to a much broader discussion with Gary and Dave. In fact, we're finished. That's thank it. Thank you. Thank you. you. Uh, you. Uh, send a self-addressed uh, envelope and. Uh, Actually, we're going to be next door at the end of this. You can yes, at, at the end of this, you can come by and, and pick up a, a card. Uh, but the, the panel was in, initially conceived to be much more of, a, of Activision memories with Gary and Dave and myself. So I'll, I'll turn this over to Dave now. Mr. Crane? Mr. Crane. Um, well, you know, everybody knows Keystone Capers. Uh, Gary did Keystone Capers. We should, we should probably, since this is kind of... Um, at least based on the title of this thing, we were, we were talking about Dan's recreation of the, the sequel he was doing to Keystone Capers. Um, Gary and I did have some involvement in, in Keystone. I mean, Gary, of course, wrote the whole thing, but... Um, yes, Dave, it, 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 came without, uh, it came with some feedback from Dave. <coughs> so, uh, Dan and I joined Activision in June of 1982. Uh, as you probably know, Activision was West Coast based. Uh, Dave had a design group out there, Dave, Al, Bob, and Larry, uh, Steve Cartwright, soon to join, and Carol Shaw, soon to join. And we came uh, out to visit them from the East Coast, and it fit very well into their strategy because they really believed that a quality product comes out of a tight-knit group of creative people and they didn't want to put too many creative people in one place because it could blow the synergy of you know, what they had that was working so well. So we come waltzing in and we're, you know, we might as well be in Australia for what it matters to them. We're far away. And that was a real appeal because they knew we wouldn't, you know, go into their environment and potentially break the synergy, we would have our own synergy. So we started the East Coast office, have our own group of guys, um, most notably uh, John Van Ryzen, who ended up doing Hero in that office, uh, which I know has become a real popular game. And um, Keystone was the first thing I was working on. And uh, originally, it was a vertical game. I had just finished Donkey Kong for Coleco, um, and I first had in my mind that it, the cop was going to be climbing up the outside of a building and the crook was going floor to floor inside the department store and you could see him through windows. You'd see him run by a window and at certain windows he would stop and grab a piece of product from the store and throw it out the window down at the cop so the cop would be dodging as he went up. Um, little crazy climber in there. Um, and I had started that. We don't have the code, unfortunately. We don't have a ROM, but I had vertical scrolling uh, game working. And Dave came out and we, and I, I mean, at that point, I didn't have much of a synergy with Dave. We had met him once or twice and got hired. So he came out and you know, as is the case with much young guys from New Jersey, Dave's coming out. Not that he was intimidating, he'd probably just been on the cover of Delta Inflight magazine or something, <laughs> which I think is probably true. So we were all scared to death, and Dave came out and he looked at it, and he had just finished some game in the jungle. I forget the name of that game, but it didn't do very well. But anyway, 
uh, he looked at what I did and we brainstormed and he said, maybe you should do it horizontally. Like that failed Game in a Jungle thing I did. Because <laughs> that has pioneered this screen to screen. And it was a good idea, obviously. So uh, I switched it, uh, gave me an opportunity to use this crazy escalator that I had been fooling around with because now we went horizontal, I could, we'd go floor to floor that way. And um, it really changed the game completely and obviously worked. And that was really the first example of what Dave and I have now done together for the last 40 years. I mean, we, we collaborate on many, many things, as Dan and I and Dan and Dave do as well, but Dave and I especially, since that time, have collaborated both from a code standpoint, we can read each other's code, we, you know, we've done projects where I've written parts and he's written parts, creatively we collaborate, um, and we've worked together ever since, so it's been a great, great um, partnership. So that was Keystone Capers, and ended up finishing it in about six months. And uh, it yeah, did pretty well, I was very proud of it. Sold a considerable number of units. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it did all right. It was, it was seven or 800,000 units around there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, when we do, talks like this, we usually ask, um, <clears throat> who has seen us before and do a talk like this? <laughs> no, no Some. Because and you're back. <laughs> we tell a lot of stories yes, it works. and we don't want to tell the same stories that everyone's always heard before because then we don't want to be boring. Um, so we could do Q&A if you want where if there are very particular things about our careers that you've wondered about, just throw them out and we can talk about them. Or if you want to at least give us a topic that you're really interested in, we can go off in that direction. We don't have a formal presentation. We rarely ever do. <laughs> well, but usually one thing leads to another. And right. Your discussion of collaboration is kind of interesting. Um, I mean, specifically, Gary and I developed a boy's blob on the NES. And we were 3,000 miles apart, because so I was always on the West Coast, he was always on the East Coast. And um, that was kind of fun, only because I was doing the code base, and he was, for the, for the main game, and generally the, the, the general overall code, and then he was writing code for Blobolonia. Once you flew from Earth to Blobolonia, it was a different game. Uh, so it was easier to collaborate, because it was kind of like level one, level two. But he had to write code on my code base, which meant he had to have the latest code base. So every night, I went on AOL, <laughs> and I did an upload that took seven or eight hours that would be waiting for him in the morning. So we did an overnight upload through AOL. And those were the good old days of using modems and modem standards like X-modem and Z-modem and mm -hmm. Kermit and those kind of things. But actually, AOL was better than any of them because it could restart a failed upload. We'd go back and say, OK, I got most of it, but I'll go back and get the rest. So that was pretty fun. You know, you could actually um, set it off and literally check it at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's almost done, almost done. And then we could play Dave's new build every day. So that was, that was cool. Yeah. Right. right. But, but there were there were other collaborations. You know, these these upstart kids out there on the East Coast. You know, he's absolutely right. Um, we we at Activision we pioneered what we called the design center concept, and it was 
You know, it, it came about because of the way we started the company. We started the company with four game designers and a, a business guy. And the four of us had worked together at Atari. We went to lunch together. We, you know, we knew we worked together well. And we started to think, you know, if we get start getting five, six, seven, eight, nine guys in this room, we aren't going to have the same synergy. We're not going to have the same ability to kibitz off of each other's work and there's too many distractions and such. So when Gary came along, um, you know, he had called Activision and said, I make Atari 2600 games, we should talk. And the guy he talked to at Activision said, no, you don't. We're the only ones, you know, Atari and us are the only ones who make Atari 2600 games. Um, so yeah, it was absolutely a great fit. We said, these guys are already a group. There were already about four of them at the time. And uh, we set up an office in New Jersey for them to go to. So we would go out there every once in a while just to go over what they're doing and, and help out and offer suggestions and that sort of thing. But sometimes there were other things that would happen. Like everybody knows that one of the first things we did at Activision is we put the Activision logo at the bottom of the TV screen, right? That was kind of a fun thing. And the Activision logo originally, I mean, it, it, it's always looked kind of the same. It went through some minor modifications over the years, but the earliest games we did um, they're probably still there. I don't know what the Dragster logo looks like, but it's... No, it's, I checked. They're still there. It's the old, it's lower, the old, logo, the old lowercase yeah. yep. A on the logo and such. And then we, we kept doing it. Bob Whitehead tweaked it and he said, you know, I can put the flying V type A on this thing. And he tweaked that. And one day we got this ROM from these upstart boys in New Jersey. And it had a little bit of the Activision rainbow on that. Did you have that? Yeah. Oh, cool. The and nerve. I forgot about that. <laughs> the nerve to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't the one that you see now. It was just a small 8-bit wide horizontal, you know, rectangular. It didn't have the slope or whatever. Right, hanging off the left edge. And it was just kind of sitting there. And yeah. I then took that and rewrote the high-speed kernel to make it slope and angle it down and, and this kind of stuff. But, you know, everybody was just kind of like touching whatever they could to say, hey, I can make this a little better, I can make this a little better. Yeah. And um, so even though we didn't have everybody in the same group, the groups had synergy, you know? The groups well, would, would help each other. And another great example of that that people generally don't know is Dave had this crisis scheduled to do Ghostbusters on the Commodore 64. It was a, every movie project is a crisis schedule because it lags. So um, the, the game has to come out because close to the movie coming out and you don't have the assets until the movie's about to come out, so it's always a nightmare. But Dave was doing Commodore 64 Ghostbusters and he called me up and said, I got a project for you if you're interested. And I said, yeah, sure, what? He said, you know, we're playing the song on the opening screen I need one of those bouncing balls, you know, the ones that hit the lyrics right at the beat. So I wrote that. <laughs> so that, that was my claim to fame on Ghostbusters, was the bouncing ball. And if you watch it, it hits the lyrics perfectly all the way. <laughs> Except it, it wraps around, it goes off the right and comes on the left. Which is really weird. In the old days, they would bounce They would bounce back, back right. Yeah, I sat in the room next to Gary and heard that over <laughs> and over. And over. Nee, 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 nee. <coughs> yeah. So that was another fine kitchen crane collaboration there. And then Dan ended up doing 2,600 Ghostbusters. Yes. 
which was actually, uh, some people say, is one of the best 2600 games ever done. It was pretty amazing. And we had a lot of fun working on that one. We did. That was a really tight schedule. I think it was, you know, three months we have to ship it. And Gary and I, I did most of the kernel. Gary came and helped and did, did the map work and did some of the other work. And, and uh, we, we, we worked together to do that and get it done. Any burning questions that you've always wanted to ask these crazy people up here? Yes? Uh, I'm going to ask Dan about, he did F-14 Tomcat. I did. 2600, right? I wanted to ask if there's any particular technical challenges of that, making that game. It's, it's a pretty advanced looking and playing game for 2600. Thank you. The, um, so that was a question on F-14 Tomcat and 2600, if there were any technical challenges, just in case you didn't hear. We, I was uh, with Gary at Absolute at the time. Um, uh, the, the main displays is kind of just a reuse of a score kernel to do all of those different displays. Um, and in hindsight, I probably would have made it more of a game and less of a simulator. Um, I've gone back and played it a bunch now. Um, the, the real challenge to me I had on that was I, unfortunately most people do not get to the point where they can land because, uh, but I do have a pseudo first person aircraft carrier landing at night. And so I did that with the ball and the missile and a little light coming down the, uh, coming down the, uh, um, the landing strip that kind of moves down like you'd see on an actual uh, landing strip. And uh, I think that was probably a, one of the toughest things to, to try to recreate what, I would, what I've seen videos of F-14s landing on carriers at night where you really just have the few lights that pointed out in the tower there. Um, but. Uh, Overall, I think I think probably doing the main display on, in the cockpit was uh, was the most challenge because I tried to replicate as much as I could in a 2600 what an F-14 actually did with the uh, with the swoop wings and and with the the correct amount of thrust to weight ratio or weight to thrust ratio and and the gallons of fuel they had and the ECMs and I copied a lot of the maps and things I'd seen in aircraft books. Back then, we didn't have the internet, so I'd go and get these books. And, and uh, one of the guys in the office uh, who helped do our marketing um, had, had befriended uh, a, a guy in the Navy, actually, who was an F-14 driver. Uh, and I think we bought some, some aircraft pictures from him for maybe one of John Van Rysen's games, mm -hmm. F-18. Yeah, he did some of the photography we used on the cover. And so from that relationship, uh, uh, I had gotten some 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 books that you could purchase that were about F-14s, and I tried to replicate as much as I could the the ECM screens, the uh, the CW screens, caution and warning, and so I thought that was a country western. Oh, and and the, yeah. and the country western screen in there as well. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would say the main topic was the hardest part, but it was a lot of fun doing that. You know, and, I, yes, I, it's a challenge, but it's also the most fun thing we ever did. Yes, you know, we, you got you to understand that. And then 2600 was designed to, to play tank and pong. And every game that was done that wasn't tank or pong required some technological trick, some way of manipulating the hardware into doing something it didn't intend to do. Um, the Dragster was, the, prior to Dragster, there wasn't, say, say six months prior to Dragster, you couldn't put six digits of display on an Atari screen. And 
every game after that was invented had a six-digit score. I mean, it, and his cockpit was the six-digit score kernel. It was basically, right. it was a technique that was developed that made the 2600 do things that their designers never intended. I was sitting at Atari working on that very thing, and um, it was just up on the screen for the first time, the six-digit score, when the designer of the video chip in the Atari, Jay Miner, was walking through the lab, and I felt this presence of somebody standing behind me. I looked back, and it was Jay, and he was shaking his head. You know, what's up? And he said, I had no idea that my chip could do that. <laughs> That was the thrill that we got of making this hardware do things that it was never intended. So you ask, what was the challenge? I mean, uh, the three of us up here know that what you were asking is, what was the most fun part? Right. <laughs> That's well said, David. Yes. You know, I, I always like the funny anecdotes. And Dave's, um, Dan's discussion on F-14, the question on F-14, brings up one quick little anecdote, not exactly related to F-14 but related to the next flight game we did on the 7800 called F-18 Hornet, mm -hmm. which was actually John Van Rysen did that one. <clears throat> and when, as absolute, we were publishing, we were publishing those Atari games, and it was pretty standard when you publish the game to file a trademark for the name, if you could get a trademark for the name. And trademark is you register the name with the government and you have exclusive rights to that name within the area of product. The way our um, lawyer used to explain it was, uh, the way trademarks work is you can have Cadillac cars, but you as an individual could go trademark Cadillac if you want to use it for dog food, because it's two different genres. So I registered F-18 Hornet for software, and the registration went through, and that was it, we owned it. Many years later, I had one of the best phone calls I've ever had, probably seven, eight years later, when I got a call from the general counsel of McDonnell Douglas, <laughs> who said, we have a problem, I want the name of my jet back. <laughs> and I didn't understand what he was saying until he made it clear that you own my trademark. And I said, no, no, I, I own it in software. He goes, well, we do flight simulators now for training of our jets, and I want my name back. We had it in class nine or something. Yes, so, so we were patriotic individuals. We, we were glad to sell him back the name of his jet. Graciously gave him back we, his... That gave. When he sold him back his sold $25 him back million his, dollar aircraft name. And it was a, billion. It, it was a fine moment. <laughs> Next, anybody? Over there. Yeah, so uh, I was, uh, what, last night, read, uh, sorry, uh, Watch Out for Fireballs podcast was taping here, and they highlighted Ghoul School as one of their games, uh, like a hidden gem they really liked. Do you have any memories of that? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Ghoul School, NES. Yeah. We had this contractor that worked for us. He wasn't, no, maybe he was an employee at that point. I'm not sure. No, I think he was a contractor. I think he was a contractor. Scott Marshall. He was a brilliant <laughs> musician and a game programmer. He had worked at RCA as an engineer, and I really liked Scott, he was a great guy. And he had this idea for years. And he finally made it, and I thought it was very clever. It's a good game, very clever. Honestly, probably no one in this room has heard it, but if you finish that game, you finish it, literally finish the game, 
he plays a song at the end, and I'll tell you, it's such a good song that he wrote. And all I remember in my mind is I remember, God, that song was so good, but you've got to finish the game and get to it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was published, I think, by Electrobrain. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Boy, there's a name. It was published by Electrobrain, and, and they were one of our clients at the time. They were handling some distribution. But uh, yeah, it was, I think it was a pretty unsung game. A lot, not a lot of people played it, and I thought it was pretty good. Scott had also, previous to that, had done RC Grand Prix on the Sega Master System uh, for us, which was a very nice game as well. Yeah, Scott was a good programmer. He was. Yeah. And what do you call that, does anybody know, what do you call that very innovative um, musical instrument that you don't touch, you use your hands? He is a, a world expert in that instrument, and he has been for many, many years. If you look it up, you'll learn about Scott Marshall, you'll find him online. I know he always had a passion for that, and he was a tremendous pianist. He's still around. Um, okay? Go ahead. Random question, but it, at, with Activision games for the Atari, why were there so few uh, pedal games? It's because we, we, as a designer, you never make a game for a subset of the audience. You want, you want to download? I mean, download. <laughs> you want to sell a million units, and you, if, you know, you have to get a, a large audience for that, although, and you're worried about not having the paddles. Although paddles came in every box, I think. Did they, or not later no, on? No, they came with a cart, right? Wasn't there a cart? No, you're talking about something else, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, Kaboom was, we could just say that Kaboom was the best paddle game ever made, why go farther? <laughs> <laughs> and Warlords for Atari, that was amazing. Well, the other thing about the paddles is because if you plugged in two paddle controllers, there's two each on each cable. So it's the only way you could get four buttons, you know, a button in the hand of each of four people. So I think, I think Carol Shaw did a did a, a horse game at Atari, you know, something horse racing or whatever, and there were four of them. She would a steeplechase. Steeplechase. It was her right. steeplechase game, so she so, used paddles to do that. So is it true that not everyone had a? I'm not sure about. I think every 2600 did have the paddle controller. The original one. Yeah, but yeah, but maybe once all oh, the small one right. came they, out, they stopped paddling. Right. I think you're right. The, the is that right? Same way now. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. You, what you were talking about, Gary, was the, the driving controller that came with Indy 500. Yeah, yeah. And that was not a potentiometer. That was a gray-coated in, in, in controller that on the four, four wires of the joystick, it put out a four-bit code. And a gray coating is, if you have a, if, if you're trying to detect a turning knob and you have the thing go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, um, you actually have, in binary, you have two bits changing at the same time when it goes from um, three to zero. So zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three, zero, one, two, three, there's a problem when it goes from three to zero because two bits change mm -hmm. and you can get a misreading. So gray coding of two, four bits is zero, one, three, two, zero, one, three, two, zero, one, three, two. And that's how this thing works. It, it does this gray coding controller. <laughs> so it goes all the way around and the number that comes out of it is either zero, one, three, or two. In, in sequence. And it was impact with the Atari um, Indy 500 cartridge. And never again, and not for sale separately, I don't think. 
So that was the really real crime, was it was kind of a cool controller. If you wanted to do something went all the way around, didn't have that stop on it like a potentiometer. But, you know, we just looked at each other and said, nobody will ever make another <laughs> driving controller game because they have to have bought Indy 500 to even have it. Yeah, that's always been a problem with fancy peripherals that didn't come with every system. Okay, yes. How much input into the box art did you have as the game designer? Because I, I, just from my own personal experience, a lot of the enjoyment of, of Activision games was the romantic part of the box art and just how beautiful it was. And I'm just kind of curious as to how, how much input you guys had on what your box design was. Well, I'll let Dave answer this, but I'll just say that us being 3,000 miles away, the answer is we had none. At least Dave could walk down the hallway yes. and talk to somebody. We, we didn't. We, we loved it. Yeah. The, the marketing, activist marketing was, oh, it was second to none. Second to none. But yes. what was your experience being in the same building? Dave? It was actually one of the founding principles of Activision. I mean, when we started the company, we wanted um, the creators of games to have credit like an author of a book, you know, that sort of thing. But we also marched into the office of Jim Levy, the president, and we said, you know what really sucks is you look at some of these games, you can't tell what the game is by looking at the box. You have no idea what you're buying, right? So we said, we're putting our foot down here, the cover of the box has got to be the exact picture on the Atari 2600 off the TV set. We insist. And he sat there and argued with us for a number of hours, I think, but um, what we ended up, we ended up compromising that on the back of the box would be a picture of, a stylized picture of what the game screen looks like. It's not exactly pixel for pixel because you might want to put, like in the Pitfall one, I think you see both. You do. A, a log and a, log a fire, and a whatever it is, you know, the things, they don't actually exist on the same screen, but it's stylized and it's pretty much in the 8-bit, you know, art format. And then the cover could be something that's creative. We didn't go as crazy as some of the, the games in Atari. I mean, my, my favorite one, if I can put quotes around favorite, Breakout. Was, was Breakout. Breakout, right? yeah. I mean, I, 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 I haven't looked to confirm this, but my recollection is that when you look at the manual of the Breakout, the first words are, you're flying through space, <laughs> and you encounter a multicolor force field. Now, is that what breakout is to you? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, we just didn't like it. We, you know, we didn't want to go that way. But Jim Levy is, was our marketing guy, and he was right. He said, you don't necessarily have to put this ugly pixel art on the front of the box, but we'll put something on the back so that you're not selling a pig in a poke. You, you'll know what you're buying when you get the game. I seem to recall the first four didn't have that. I remember the first four boxes, the back just had the illustration of the two joysticks and really no, yeah and that's no an pictures. atari that's an atari thing to have the joysticks pictured on the back i think these these guys would know better than us but. yeah i thought maybe <laughs> boxing or checkers he is no. correct it is correct there, there are I, I don't know if it was the first four i'd have to go back and look at all of my boxes but there are some that just have a text right text and a little and just, and just two really right two joke god i don't remember yeah, that saying for you know four joystick controller yeah. damn well boxing was number two and i remember the boxing yeah. screenshot on the back oh yeah that, that's why i don't know if it was the first four but i know that there were some that were like that wow i don't know i still think that was a what was number one dragster boxing checkers fishing derby skiing bridge were our first six 
Okay. And you did two? I, I did fishing derby and dragster, yes. Yeah, okay. in five months? Yeah. When you left Atari to form Activision, what development systems did you use or did you guys invent your own for, the, for Activision? I was the engineer in the group. Um, when I went to Atari, nobody knew I was an engineer because I was just doing software. But yes, I was the guy who built all the boxes. And um, first thing I had to do when we left Atari is first I had to reverse engineer the Atari 2600 and create a manual. And then shortly thereafter, I had to create a development system. And um, yeah, the development system was um, a metal box, ultimately became a blue box, because we were using, I think LMB was the company that made these boxes you could buy. And um, the blue box had an Atari 2600 sitting on the top and a wire, um, what do you call cable. it? Ribbon, ribbon, cable. ribbon cable, cable umbilical that came out of the box. And basically what we did was we plugged a cartridge into the Atari 2600 and that cartridge was a RAM, it looked like a ROM, but it was a RAM. It wasn't exactly a ROM simulator because we also had intelligence in it for doing debugging and such. But uh, yeah, I built four of those before I could even start working on Dragster, and still did Dragster and Fishing Derby by I did January, yeah. Goddamn overachiever. Yeah. Yes, yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> now that was the, the West Coast, the, the East Coast Gary had designed, we used Apple computers. Yeah, so I, I built a RAM board that emulated the ROM, and built umbilical cord hand-wired board that went into the slot in the Apple II, and then an umbilical cord that plugged in as a cartridge, a cartridge. into a 2600, and had a little machine language routine that when you were all done with your Merlin assembler, Merlin was the uh, 65 assembler, you had your binary file, you, you hit a control key, and very quickly in seconds, it downloaded that into the card, the card which to the 2600 looked like a ROM, and that became the game. We had no debugging. That was our that was our development system, and I used that to write Space Jockey and Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. But this was this was way later in like 1982. When when we when you were doing this stuff? 80. Yes, this was way after you. It was 81. When did you do? No, I was working on Jet Space Jockey in 80. 80. Yeah. Because in 79, in 79, it was much harder. Well, you had debugging. Dave had stone knives and bearskins. <laughs> when, when we started Activision, we budgeted $60,000 to buy a PDP-11 computer because at the time there weren't home computers. You had to have a, the closest thing to a you know, mainframe computer, which was the PDP-11. And we wanted to buy a PDP-11 slash 30 or something like that. And it was a two month lead time. So we couldn't do that, we had to get started. So we ended up going over to Hamilton Avnet, which is a computer distributor, a part distributor, and they had PDP-1103, one of the earliest PDP-11s, sitting on their showroom floor. And, you know, it had a for sale sign on it, and we bought it. It was the slowest, you know, PDP-11 ever made, probably. And we set it up in a quote-unquote timeshare environment where we had one computer, and four people designing games. And we had a whole bunch of switch boxes. Right. Because everybody, every, everybody connected <laughs> through an RS-232 to a dumb terminal. To a VT-100. 
It wasn't even a BT-100, it was an ADM-3. It was a dumb terminal, as dumb as they could. Dumb as good. <laughs> and um, so basically, the way we developed a game is you brought up a word processing program on the PDP-11 and routed all the switches in such a way that you were the one talking to the PDP-11. And you would type and you would edit your program. Then you would run the assembler. And when the assembler was done, you would download the object code from the assembler into your box. Then you could flip the switches and someone else could work. And, and what were the other people doing? A manual. What the other people were doing was they were, we had printed out every, we printed listings of every change we ever made, and then we were writing in code changes while the other person was editing. The, the 11T03 was a slow machine. It was running an assembler, a cross assembler that was written in Fortran that was running on this machine. A 2K game took 20 minutes to compile. 2K bytes took 20 minutes to compile. You do that today, before you let go of the key, it's compiled. Right. Right. 20 minutes, so for 20 minutes, and then Larry started doing Bridge, which was a 4K, which took 40 minutes. And people were like, come on, Larry, I need the computer. So we would, we would, you know, we'd write in our changes, and then what do you do? You know, you pretty much Press not, go to lunch. No, we just walk around the office. Yeah. And, you know, Levy would see us walking around the office and said, somebody's compiling, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, that was really sucked. But uh, it took us about a year to finally get a fast enough machine to timeshare on. And on top of that, you still did the two games in five months with the development well, system. Well, and the thing that Dave is really kind of skimming over was when they went to Hamilton Abnet. They didn't actually have a PDP-11. Dave had to make one. He made the PDP-11 before he made the development systems and before he wrote the two games. Now you're just being ridiculous. <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> Anything? Go ahead. Was it some Activision policy that none of the scores ever rolled over on any of the games that they ever released? Like, like rolled over back to zero? Yeah, like, it seemed like it always ended. Well, that's because there were only six digits. <laughs> and it didn't make sense to roll over. Well, we wanted that exclamation point. What did you do in Laser Blast? Exclamation points. Yeah. I don't think there was a policy. I don't, I don't think there was a policy. Um, certainly, once we decided we were doing patches and that sort of thing, we had to have real scores. Um, and when you do a six-digit score, you can pretty much decide, based on how many points each thing is, that somebody has to play for a decade to, to roll over a million. Um, Laser Blast was an exception. Um, Laser Blast was kind of an interesting game to the, when you first pick it up, and you, you probably die in six seconds, right? You pick up this game and you start to move and the lasers shoot you, and you fall. And the next life comes, lasers shoot you. So it's one of those games that it took, it, it happened so fast, it was over so fast, that I added joystick reset, which, you know, this was a real early time in video games. We were innovating every day. I mean, you can look at a lot of our games and say, gee, that, was, that would have never been done before. That had never been done before. I don't think a joystick reset had ever been done before, where I, I was too lazy to reach up <laughs> and hit restart. So if you died, you could just move the joystick and start your new game. But once you've got the rhythm on Laser Blast, <coughs> You could never die. I mean, you could play this game forever. And um, in the, the slowest mode, like game one, 
you could max the score in five and a half hours. If you played the faster one where the enemies were much faster, still, if you got the rhythm, you could continue to play and do it in about three and a half hours. The mistake that I made in innovating a joystick reset is I should have disabled that feature after you finished the game where you actually won the game. Because we, you know, we got letters from consumers with requests for patches and that sort of thing. And we got one letter from a, a young child who said, I played Laser Blast and I played it for five and a half hours. And I got the all exclamation points, which represents a million points. And I was so exhausted that I dropped the joystick and it reset the game. <laughs> and I was not able to take a picture. <laughs> right below the tear stains on that letter <laughs> was the note from the mother who says, I was there, I can attest, Johnny got signed affidavit. Please send him his patch. And they still wouldn't give him the patch. No, 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 no. <laughs> Parson gave him the patch. What else? All the way in the back. So, uh, I'm sorry if this has already been asked. I, I guess it maybe hasn't. Um, but uh, I was digging around some import games and I found a, a game that was called Mysterious Blobby. And uh, it happened to be, unbeknownst to me, a <coughs> Japanese version of The Boy's Blob. And uh, I was playing it and I noticed that uh, all the graphics had been changed on it. Uh, which I thought was uh, part of the charm. This is one of my favorite games of all time. And I was wondering if you could share some insight as to how that type of change would happen your localization. I cannot believe you asked that because Dave just brought it up yesterday. Yeah. Didn't know, yes. And we haven't talked about that in 30 years. Well, first of all, there was a lot of piracy in video games. There are collectors probably in this audience who have all 19 variations of Bob Whitehead's boxing game, you know, whatever. Um, because there are a lot of countries that we didn't sell in, nobody sold into those countries, so they thought it's fair game, they just take our ROMs, duplicate our ROMs, put them in a box, whatever. My favorite one was an Activision game in a box that, with a company name of Otari. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there was a lot of the piracy, but, you know, Gary and I have worked together for a long time, and you look at Activision today, and they make a, you know, $10 billion selling whatever the Call, it, Call, of, Call of Duty is, or whatever. They spend $100 million making it, so it's, it's their right to make a lot of money, I think, but um, we liked to work in small companies. I mean, Activision was turned out to be a pretty big company, but thereafter, Gary and I always worked together on small companies. And you get to do your own work. You get to, you don't have people looking over your shoulder deciding what you can and can't make. You know, and there's a lot of good things about that. But the bad thing is the electric utility needs to be paid every month. You know, you got to keep the lights on. So while we're working on some speculative new game that's going to take a year to come out, we will do things, uh, we'll do client work, we'll do, you know, versions or whatever. And um, A Boy and His Blob is one of those. It was critical success, financial success somewhat, um, 
but it wasn't sold in Japan. And we were approached by a company called Jalico. Jalico. And Jalico said, we want to take a Buenos Blob into Japan and you know, we'll make a deal, a distribution deal, and that's all well and good. And they said, but the graphics are not Japanese enough. Okay. So, I don't know, I think they may have, we may have said, all right, you draw us what you think yeah, is a Japanese Yeah, I think boy. they did, yeah. And they made a more Mario-looking character, a little squat little guy, you know, and whatever. And uh, so I created that game and modified the graphics and did all that. And we sold it off through a distribution deal. So there is a Japanese version of a boy and his blob. Now, it sounds like you then got a pirated version of that one in some other country. Because, well, what did, where did you say it was? Well, it, it, I translated it. I got the Japanese Famicom uh, cartridge called Fushigi no Blobby. But it's translated to Mysterious Blob. Mysterious Blob, okay, yeah. Okay. I didn't remember what, the, oh, of course I didn't remember what the title was. It was written in Japanese. That's yes, right. that's correct. We have time for like one more question, and after that we're going to go retire to a table and sign autographs if anyone is so bold as to ask for an autograph, we'll be glad to sign it. Alright, either one of you, you go first, we'll do two. So when adults get together, one of the first things they talk about is like, you know, what is it that you do for work? Like back in the old Atari days, how do people react when you try to explain to oh, them forget what it. was that you did? <laughs> I, I was at a party, and somebody said, so what do you do? And I said, I, I design video games. And a woman looks at me, she goes, I thought, I thought those were made by computers. <laughs> so, you know, inevitably, the, the next thing out of their mouth is, I have a game idea. Yes, you hear a lot of that, though. There is that, yes. There yes. is that. Um, but then there's also the trying to explain a game concept. Right. Um, a boy in his blob, for example. I mean, I, I thought of a boy in his blob because I wanted to have a companion type game where you had this companion that came along and he was also your toolkit. So you would have a tool using adventure game where you brought along this guy and that sort of thing. And, you know, then we just started brainstorming on the whole thing. And I remember, you know, people said, well, what's your latest game? Well, I have this game called a boy in his blob. Well, tell me about this game. I said, well, there's this shape-shifting blob and he's your friend. <laughs> and you throw jelly beans at him and he eats them and he transforms into various shapes and then like he might change into a ladder and you'll climb on him to go up. And he does this because he eats jelly beans. Oh yeah, well he's from a planet where all the vitamins are gone. <laughs> you know, so yeah, people kind of wondered what I'd been smoking when I was smoking. Go ahead. As long as you people from Athens, you establish that. Have you approached Activision about a PR promotion for Gold Rush? Uh, I have not. I'm sure Activision is very much focused on their current uh, billion-dollar products. Um, but there, there, there are some potential things that I'd like to do in the future with some of the original Activision IPs. Um, so I've actually begun some talks with them on those. And hopefully you'll hear about that at at some other game cons. Well, the whole market for this game is in this room anyway. Right. I mean, we're not, you know, unfortunately, until someone re-releases a very cheap, inexpensive 2600, like they're doing with the Sega Genesis and the Nintendo 8-bit, and it sits on a shelf somewhere in Target, um, there's really not a, a mass market place to sell uh, any of the new products that, uh, that I would create. You know, and it, it's funny, you would think that that's a logical thing to do, right? 
But what you learn when you've been in business, as long as we have, is what, there's a certain size that companies get where the opportunity cost of even taking a phone call from right. us is not worth it. It's not worth it. Right. So you say, look, you, you're not using Pitfall. Why don't you right. license it to us? And they say, you know, it's going to cost us two hundred thousand dollars to get the legal right. department Just to, do the to draft the contract to make and to make a hundred. It's just not worth profit. it. So. so that's the problem. You can't get their attention unless they're altruistic. And I don't know a lot of corporations that are altruistic. <laughs> so. True. They just don't want to be bothered. What about the Amico and that? Wait, we, we talk to Tommy all the time. Yeah. Yeah, every show we see Tommy, he shows us the latest thing he's doing. Funniest part was he hasn't, we're not doing anything on it yet. But we, very quickly, were at E3, and we were in there, and they, was they were demoing it, and in walked buyers from Walmart. Mm. And they spent the entire time ooing and eyeing over David Crane, somehow <laughs> thinking that David Crane was doing an Amico game. <laughs> but they haven't signed it either of us to do an Amico game. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> we didn't correct their misconception. You know, we're, we're, we're hoping Tommy does really well. Yeah. Um, you know, we love the all vision. Four. Yeah, all, all for that bringing something. And uh, you know, some of us are still hoping the, the Atari VCS is a real product. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> you know, the we'll what? Yeah, philosophically, there's one thing that you have to think about is game developers develop game for someone's hardware. Even if it's the iPhone, you're developing for someone's hardware. So when we founded Activision, the Atari 2600 had 20 million unit installed base, so they were our market. But we sat there and just watched the Intellivision. As soon as the Intellivision has a million units out there, we're going to make games for the Intellivision. So we are of the mindset as creators that lots of hardware, you know, everybody try to put out a piece of hardware. That's great. The one that wins is the one we'll work on. You know, as simple as that. So, you know, we'd love to see all these things succeed and, and may, may do something on them if they do. Yep. Well, thank you so much Thanks, for, guys. for coming. Thank you. Well, Whitney, I hope everyone enjoyed that segment from uh, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. It really kind of rekindles that classic that, that, console. That console love oh, is what man. it does. And and I will tell you, I freely admit it. I mean, I have I have grown so fond of my consoles over the past three to four years. I know we've not talked about it earlier on in the show, but it's kind of crept its way in into the show over time. But oh man. Ah, oh, Brent. I just—they're well, just so good. Along with the along with the three D printer stuff, the the there's been a couple things on the to do list um, for the lockdown that I haven't gotten to. And, and, and in retrospect, it, it is what it is. There's, oh, yeah. there's bigger fish to fry in oh, the yeah. world. I, I get it. Oh yeah. But uh, the trying to revisit the three D printer was one. I've had this sort of long running. Uh, item this this long lasting list to do list item, which was to break out my Atari twenty six hundred and oh. my Commodore collection. Oh boy! And sp oh, I've talked about this on the show before. I, I, I know, but and, call me when you do. I'll come over <laughs> and spread it all out. Oh, Uncle and Whitney go wants to take pictures. All of it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because I, I have a huge box of games that I had organized when 
I was really actively collecting and had a, a 2600 console out. And I've got a huge tub of games. I've talked about this on the show. Yeah. I, I've had this tub now that I think about it. I got that. You've heard me talk about that tub of rando games and all kinds of stuff. I got at a yard sale. Mm-hmm. I'd, pulled into this random yard sale and everything was out on sheets and blankets. And it was kind of each blanket was kind of a topic, if yeah. you will, like yeah. clothes here. Yeah. And I bought everything and it was all kind. It, there was a, there was a Coleco vision hidden in this, in this <laughs> lot. I didn't even know it was in there. It was uh-huh. so much stuff. I did that early on in the time that I was in this house. And I have just recently realized I've been in this house 10 years. Yeah. So I've had that tub close to 10 years at this point. And, uh-huh. and I I have kind of recompiled it and but I have not been through it. Yeah. Oh, and there's no telling what treasure. There's no are telling in there. what I what I've got. Yeah. And I know in the back and I've got three Commodore seven uh seventeen hundred series monitors because uh-huh. there was a seventeen oh one, seventeen oh two. Yeah. I've got my original and a couple others. I've got Oh, I may have to hit you up on one of those. I've got man. all kinds of I've got a pile a pile of boxed Vic twenties. Yeah. I, and even even on the in the modern retro retro gaming, it's so easy now. Like I talked about that bare metal 60, yeah. 64, throw yeah. that up or um to take uh, just, I mean, all I gotta do is zap an SD card with like Retro Pi and throw some games on there. And I mean, I've got the Pi, I bought a Pi and like Super Nintendo style control USB controllers to do that with. And I just, it keeps getting set to the side. And yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just oh, I oh, I get it, I get it. There's it, there's too much there's too much fun stuff to do. I know there's there too much fun stuff to do. Yeah. Speaking of fun stuff. Uh, let's talk a little tech for a minute. All right. Let's get back into a tech segment. Yeah. And this I alluded to this earlier in the show at the top of the show when I was talking about going through the massive sort of parts. And where I'm at with this now is I've come to the point where I'm going through the generic part number electronics. All right. Okay. And in this group, I had parts from NTE. I had ECG. I had GE. And I even had quite a few SK, which was an RCA parts company. Okay. 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 And the deal is, is, is what am I going to, how to deal with all this? So in, in going through the sort and how to deal with it, there's some information that's, that's helpful here for our listeners. And this applies to pretty much all aspects of our hobby. If you're, if you're deep into arcades, if you're deep into pinball and you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to say it to a degree. If you're deep into consoles, you're going to you're going to come across the these parts from with with these these part numbers, these generic part numbers. So the short of all this is is these generic part numbers are sort of a, a one size kind of fits all type designation. And what the intent from these vendors, these companies, and 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 I'm not going to get into the sorted histories of NTE, ECG, GE. What happened to all of these? The, the, that's that's like a research paper into itself. In all honesty, <laughs> who bought who and who did yeah. what? What the yeah. market was like and what, where, and why? The general intent was to provide a product line, a part line with fewer part numbers and what they would do is is they they would look at what 
what was what was available in the industry and they would come up with a a um a, a kind of a one size fits many part number to encompass the characteristics of a lot of these individual components that were available okay so if you think about that it, it, it without getting super deep into this if you have a transistor that handles uh an amp and you have three styles of transistors that three part numbers that handle 1.5 amps and you have maybe half a dozen that do 1.75 amps. And then you, you add, you look at that first group and it has this other characteristic and it's such and such. And there's, you know, that second group, uh, there's uh, the same characteristic is such and such plus a little bit more. The idea was, was to, to go to the far end of that spectrum and get a part that would cover all those lower parts abilities. I see. Okay. Then that way you could combine all of those parts into one part number. And so what you end up with is like an NTE part. It tends to be a little bit more expensive than the, the part that it's replacing. Well, one, you're paying for a little convenience and two, that part is most likely going to be a higher end a bit more capable part because it's covering the, the your part and potentially several other parts of of higher capability up to and including itself okay so there's a lot of companies that tried to do this that tried to go out into the industry and combine and compress all this stuff and carry part numbers that encompassed all of these individual parts. And eventually, you know, you had the winner, you had the VHS, you had the Blu-ray and today that's NTE. It, it's basically the survivor. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And, and okay. along the, along the line, NTE, I think if I got this right, I know I said I wouldn't get into the history, but if I recall correctly, NTE actually ended up buying ECG. And when all these companies were kind of at play, big and small, a couple of the companies, actually subscribed to a common themselves, an industry common, or what they were trying to develop as an industry common roll-up part number scheme. So that's why like your NTEs and your ECGs, those part numbers are equivalent even prior to them becoming the same. Oh, okay. They followed the same model. So they, they were trying to trying to enforce or at least establish some amount of standardization within within the industry within then. this generic yeah. generatization yeah. of the industry of the yes. industry yeah yeah yep. then again you had like your ge's and your rcasks <laughs> that were doing the same thing but they did their wholly own part number system yeah okay yep. so um a lot of those parts that are not nte or ecg they're available today in the nte part part number cross-reference. So I've got a link to that in our show notes. And that's kind of what I ended up doing. I ended up boiling everything that I had. And and this is a common thing. If you're squirreling around in electronics, you're trying to do some repair, uh, you're, you're buying parts, you have the opportunity to get parts. It's not uncommon to still find 
collections of these parts out there kind of in the wild or in another collector's hands, or perhaps you, you've got a buddy or a friend that was involved in a buyout and they got a part of a tech room and they've got this box full of parts that are in these funky little red boxes that have RCA all over them. (laughs) You know, well, what do I do with those? Those are all still viable parts, but how do you know what you can use them for if you don't have the guides? Okay. Exactly. So there's no lookup guide. I've looked like the parts lot I had had a lot of the SK series RCA parts in them. There's no RCA SK PDF online. And I didn't get a hard copy of whatever was the book from 1987 that would convert my two in series transistors to the equivalent SK part number. Yeah. But what I did find is a lot of these other parts, vendors, part numbers have crosses in the NTE guide. So I can go in and I can say SK part number one, two, three, four. What's that? The NTE equivalent. Yeah. Okay. That's equivalent to an NTE four, five, six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now here's the catch 22 on that. Without having, if you find yourself in this position, without having the full specs of that SK or that GE or that whoever part, you don't know that it's truly equivalent of that NTE part, okay? And and this gets into that many-to-one situation. The NTE part might replace 60 common part numbers. Well, the SK part might replace 45, including the 45 that that one T- NTE part replaces. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to replace two in one, two, three, four, and you, you, you could replace it with this NTE part, you may also be able to replace it with this SK part. Or this GE part. So there's some overlap, not total overlap. That could be the case. So it's essentially like a Venn diagram is what we're looking at. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that's kind of where you might end up. And and, and the the double whammy here is... is, I see where you're going. Yeah. The double whammy here is, is generally your conversion books or your cross-reference books, reference books, it's a one-way avenue. You might look up online or if you had a hard copy of the book, you might look up your 2N1234. Okay, that goes to NTE456. But you can't go to the back of the book and say NTE456 equals, and then here's the 60 part numbers that it equals. Yeah. It's generally a one-way street. So I guess where I'm going here is is I'm trying to say your mileage may vary. If you go and you pick up a a bunch of SK parts or GE parts or one of the other vendor parts and you cross them over to NTE, be careful because it might not replace all of the parts that this NTE equivalent part that you got out of the cross-reference replaces. Now, what I have found, though, is, is that I guess a lot of these vendors saw the writing on the wall and they realized that either NTE and that numbering system was going to win or they wanted to start to kind of mold themselves into that industry standard 
part numbering scheme that an NTE and an ECG was following because some of the parts that I had that was from these, these other vendors, GE and SK, if they were, and I'm, I'm kind of reading into this, if they were later in the, the life of that company offering those parts, they also included that, that air quotes industry, industry standard NTE ECG style part number on their packaging. So like yeah. I had some SK parts that had the SK part number on it. And then below it was just some number. Turns out that's the NTE style number. And I had some GE parts that were still in the little drawers that whoever put them in the drawers back in the eighties, cut out the bag that they were in, like the label on the face of the bag and stuck yeah. it in there. Yeah. And there was the GE part number and all of the, the, uh, uh, um, the descriptors for that part, like if it was a transistor, what it's all of its capabilities and what all of its values were. And also in the upper corner, it said this NTE standard part number equivalent to NTE. Yeah. Okay. So I, I kind of, personally, I kind of had this mix. I had some that were old enough that they weren't already adhering to or trying to adhere to the, the what was trying to become the industry standard for this generis, generization, whatever, how, I'm making up a word here. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. this generic part number format. Uh, I had some that were prior to that. So that I've got a question mark on those. If they're fully compatible with these NTE style part numbers, these, this industry, what has become the industry standard part number. And then I've got some that are later in the life of those product lines that 100% say I am SK this, and I'm equivalent to NTE that I am that. Moral of the story here, if you come across these parts, they're, they're still useful, okay? Um, you've got to understand what you've got, though. And, and really, the only place that, in, in the bigger picture, that you may end up in trouble is, is that if you have a circuit, and, and it was designed specifically around part number 2N123, there's some inherent characteristic in that part that is a hard requirement for the circuit. Yeah, I see. And yeah. you will have a problem if you get a part that has wider specs because it's replacing a multitude of other parts and put it in that circuit. From the hip, I'm going to feel that that's probably going to mainly come in analog circuits. Like if you try to put like in an audio circuit, or perhaps something in a in a monitor where you're driving your deflection and your when when you're talking power supplies when you're talking you know driver transistors the vast majority of your parts I think you're safe yeah honestly I, I wouldn't fear an NTE part in or equivalent part in more or less most anything but I would be a little concerned if it was. Maybe it was a oddball amp that maybe Gottlieb used in Kubert. Well, you know that that that's something that 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 tends to be. I, I read a circuit like that as very touchy and over engineered, <laughs> or under engineered as the case may be, and, and, and designed to specific parts and their tolerances. Well, you know why this is timely though, and I'm sure all the folks that that are out there listening to this, that they're probably going to say this is this is great information to put in the mental file cabinet. 
because not only would this work for doing game repair, but th- but Brent, think about this like just around just around the house type of repair. And when I say that, like repairing appliances or repairing um, electronics within the home, you know where I'm going to use this this next week is um, this happened to me over this happened to me again in August and it just is really kind of a one-two punch but my mother's my mother and father's washing machine went out on them (laughs) their front loader washing machine went out on them and then the very next day no I'm sorry two days later our front loader washing machine went out so now I've got to fix our washing machine as well as my mom and dad's washing machine. <laughs> okay. Well, based upon the errors that I have been able to get out of the machines and then look up on uh, look up online, I have I have reduced the fault on each each washing machine down to a essentially on one a motor control driver board, and then on the second a lock interface board. Well, both of those. I've I've pulled the boards out of both machines. That's what I did like all day yesterday, which was working <laughs> Just on. Just trying to disassemble a modern front-loading washing that's, machine. That's pretty much it, yes. Yeah. And I retrieved said board, and uh, sure enough, uh, I, I popped off the heat sink and everything, looked for burnt components. Nothing looks burnt, but ultimately the, the power, the, the wisdom of YouTube says that, and there's like six drive transistors on the top of that board. It's like a pinball driver it, board. That's exactly right. It, and and they say, go and test each one of these in 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 you know in series and then see if see if any one of those to you know test for short and sure enough i found one that tested for short <laughs> so you know what i'm going to do is uh not really knowing where to go get those transistors i'm going to use what you just talked about yep. get the nt equivalent get the nt equivalent i'm going to order my transistor and i'm going to fix my washing machine <laughs> So there you go. Buddy. You know what? When you get the NTE part number, yeah, hit me up. I may have it. <laughs> I will let you know. But uh, I, I've got to do this now for two front lo- for for two front loading washing machines. But I'm going to use my arcade repair skills, and I'm going to fix these two washing machines. So. Well, you know, this, this is extremely timely. I'm really glad <laughs> well, we record, I'm really glad we record this show. I, I'm glad I could be of, of assistance yeah, with fantastic. Thank you know, you. Kind of the, kind of the, the bigger thing here, you know, the more I think about this is, you know, parts cross references. Yeah. I don't know how yeah, many times yeah. I'll see people post, Hey, I need to replace this with this. Can I do that? Yeah. And there's a lot of cross references out there. I, I'll actually find the link for it here and throw it in the show notes as well. There's one out on, uh, is it Mike's Arcade? He's yes, he's got a good yes, yeah, he's got so, a good one. I see that copied around on on a couple. I think Flippers.com or whatever it is, they've got a copy of it out there. But I was trying to remember. It was actually I, I haven't done business or even. It was my, it was, it's Mike's Arcade, correct? Oh, it Mike's is. MikesArcade.com. Yeah, yeah great, great, yes. great guy, great great site, great products. I've bought a lot from I, him. I know you have because he oh, does yeah. a lot with Nintendo oh, stuff. He does a lot of Nintendo stuff. Reproductions, yes. So, so he has a huge cross-reference list that is, that's on his site. And which, you know, what you end up there with is you, you've got industry standard type part numbers. You've got companies that go out on their own and devise their own part number scheme that lives or doesn't live for a period of time. Uh, and then you've got like these NTE SK 
ECG type parts. Yeah. So you've got you've got a lot of interchange, but sometimes it's not like well. A windshield wiper motor isn't a windshield wiper motor isn't a windshield wiper motor. It does the same thing, but it isn't necessarily the same. The I can yeah. take one out of a Ford and put it in a Chevy. And, yeah. But oddly enough, sometimes I can take one out of a Chevrolet and put it in another brand uh-huh. because they come from a third party and they're off the shelf parts. Yeah, so exactly. Cross cross referencing parts is kind of a it's it's almost like a dark art. Isn't it, it it is it yeah. is yeah. And, and then when you throw in these generic parts, <laughs> that that's that's even more confusing. Yeah. And, and and then what I see a lot is people are like, man, these are so expensive. If you know this part's available, but I got I've got to get it from Mauser, and the shipping is so much more. But I can get I can get the part I need, and it's an NTE part, and it's free shipping off eBay, and. You're one. You're paying for the convenience, and two. Like I said, more often than not, you're paying for more of a more stout of a part because that part is there to replace forty five, fifty, a hundred other parts, all with their own different specs of and uh-huh. generally of lesser quality. Yeah, and yeah. you know what you're going to get in that that washing machine. That washing machine was built to a cost, mm-hmm. and it made sense to them to go out to whoever the vendor was and buy that particular transistor. And when you look at it in mass across all the washing machines, that board goes in for however many years that board is produced. It makes sense to them to use the specific part that has the specs they need and not spend the extra five cents or 10 cents per part Mm -hmm times however many hundreds of thousands that makes sense to them oh i mean from a from a yeah from, from an accounting perspective oh yeah i totally yeah. get it yeah but from it's, your it's a business yeah from yeah. your perspective though you don't care if the part that you put in it is five cents more or five dollars five dollars more and it's four times as stout it still serves the exact same purpose uh-huh. yeah. yeah so that that's kind of the 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 niche that these these generic part lines fill you're not gonna i don't think i've ever seen an nte or ecg branded part in any electronics they are going to get a part number specific component that fits their needs and nothing more so that it doesn't cost a cent more than they yeah. need to put into it. Yeah, I I, to, I totally get it. It's, I mean they they've got they've got supply supply side and channel in in channel let's say channel operations they have to manage because they have a as you mentioned they've got a budget that they have to build to so mm-hmm. it can, it can only that washing machine can only cost so much and not a penny more. Yeah, to exactly. Build. Yeah, they're building to a cost. Yeah, and, and I and I get that. I totally get that. But if I'm going to fix it, I want to fix it better. <laughs> I want to fix it better than good. <laughs> yeah, you know. What I want I'm it saying? gooder. I want it. Yeah, I want it more good. <laughs> so there's kind of my my story here recent recently on these parts and and to kind of maybe bring them into a little bit of focus for everybody that's seen these out there and wonder what they are. Yeah, no, and it's, why it's is good. why am I replacing my two in one two three or my you know whatever uh my one in something diode or what with nte 14 how how does that's the genesis of these yeah 
where they, what you can do with them, how to consider them and use them. And then also if you end up with a box of rando parts from these third party companies with these other oddball Rand, part numbers. Rando. Yeah. I, you just got to love that word. I love I, it. I, I use that so that much word. recently. I absolutely adore that word. You, you can still get Rand, life out of these parts. <laughs> you can still get life out of these, unless it's, unless it's electrolytic capacitor from 1985, then it, it's not worth it. It, yeah. it, has, it has no rando left. No, no it, it has nothing. Yeah. It, the only thing it does is fill space in a trash can. <laughs> so And go pop when, yeah. when you put electricity to it. All right, so that's 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 the end of my speech. Okay, you know, hope, hopefully that helps some other people nah. in repairing toasters yeah, and yeah, washing machines, whatever you know, you know, you know whatever the you know, occasion, so, the occasional pinball machine, you know, maybe yeah. a, you know, stay out of microwaves, kids, <laughs> uh, maybe a blender or something. Yeah, hey, <laughs> so, hey, I tell you what, they're all made of parts. Hey, you so. know, I've brought back the the monitor that's out in my garage right now. I got a PC out in the garage. I brought it back with arcade my arcade tool workbench. There you go. And it was just the classic. I opened it up and the power supply, all the caps had puked in it because they were built. It uh-huh. was built to a cost. Yeah. Now, and the caps were cheap. Yeah. Now you get on Mauser and you say, I will never put those types. Of, I will not. Ne- I, I will not put the caps that came out of it back into it. So I'm oh. going to put good caps in it. Oh, dude. If I, if I sat here and did not tell you that I put $10 of caps in a $10 monitor, I'd be I, lying to yeah, you. I, I get it. But that's, <laughs> but, that's but what I brought, you do. I brought it back to life and now I got a an LCD monitor out in the garage it's not the best because it's older but but it's out in my garage yeah exactly you know i can i i can put on pluto tv and have star trek <laughs> run in the background oh, and then it's it's worth ten dollars anyway you mentioned oh, yeah. it right there so oh, first contacts on <laughs> <laughs> perfect timing now since now brent since you talked about parts we're going to talk about a couple parts because uh, it is it is time for the return of sprint of spin oh Brent's this isn't money. first contact why did it say first contact Brent, you got to get your Pluto TV straight. Well, it just, I, I hovered over and it said first contact, but oh no, it's, it's, it's still next. It's still next gen. Okay. Well, you're doing good. Then. Uh, William Riker has been, um, on an, uh, something mission. Uh, uh, I need the big monitor here, Whitney. We're, we're getting to that point. Uh, this is the one where they did all the prosthetics on Riker. So that he fit in with a, a, a alias for months on an I think he went down to uh, gosh I'd have to think back about that I don't know how this interface works on a PC so I can blow up and get the full detail of the episode oh no the episode title is first contact oh yes anyway all right I'm sorry I've I'll got us completely I, off I'd, I'd have to go back and watch that I, I don't I mean I vaguely remember it yeah I don't totally remember they it. they gave him all kinds of prosthetics. So he looked like a local and he was down trying to understand he, I think they ended up kind of busting him. Yeah. And then they were holding him hostage or something. I can't recall. I haven't seen this one in a while. Yeah. I'd I'd have to, I've done one watch through of TNG start to finish. And I probably, Jackie and I were talking about it and I need to do, we need to do it again. But anyway, Start in season three. Okay, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Start is if it doesn't if it doesn't have Riker, Riker doesn't have a beard. It ain't worth it. It's, it's not worth it yet. How about that? All right, Brent. So spending your money makes a return this month, and we've got a couple of items. And you know, it's it's funny in the sense that. You know, there for a while we we had just like a super steady supply of 
uh, aftermarket kind of reproduction arcade parts, and it is definitely it's definitely dried up. It's it's kind of it, it's it's not at the same level of uh, of intensity that that it was in years past. But you know something we'll we'll keep the we'll keep the segment because I love it. Just I just love the thought of it actually, and uh, and it's always good to just be up on on new parts and, and what's going on within the hobby. But uh, but this month we do have a couple of entrants that are definitely noteworthy. But uh, you, you're gonna you're gonna get away for under a hundred bucks this month, Brent. So I don't, I don't really see where you can complain. First up though. Is a reproduction gas or brake pedal cable for pole position that's upright or cockpit. Now, I, I oh, so the brake pedal is the same cable? Y- yeah, yeah. Length? In the cockpit? Where in, that has, in, okay. In the All cockpit, right. yes. And I think, and I asked that question in this thread, and I believe it has to do with they make up for the difference with the number of windings and everything. But oh, anyway, ultimately, same pedal, uh, I'm sorry, both pedals, same cable. And this is a this is a reproduction off of a off a new old stock cable. Uh, Cloth member Millstar is uh, offering this up. It's fifteen dollars a cable, and uh, if you've got a cockpit pole position, you would need two naturally. If you have an upright, you would only need one. But uh, if you are interested in this, uh, he's he's running the pre order there over on Clov for that. And my I, I guess my point on this is you know I don't really. I mean, I've got some work to do on my cockpit pole position and, uh, of course, you know, take the pedal assembly out. I'll, I'll have it powder coated and everything like that just to put it back, you know, nice and clean and everything. I don't really know. Um, I mean, my pedals work, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't really know the condition of the cables or that assembly and what it's going to take to clean it up and everything. But if, if you're doing work on a pole position, you're, you're ultimately, likely going to want to have uh one or two of these in your toolbox just because where where else are you going to find this cable and making it is probably kind of a a pain in the butt if you were to need it this is one of those things that for years surprised me that no one had done i know it's just one of those things it's a steel cable with eyelets it Eyelets on the end of it with with yeah with a press fit eyelet on either end yeah so um it's one of those things that, I, I, given what has been reproduced in the past years in terms of metalwork, I th- would have thought, man, this would have been a no-brainer for someone to have done. I, I just shocked me that that here we are in twenty twenty. Yeah, you just couldn't go buy this cable. Yeah, I know, I know, but you couldn't. And here we are in twenty twenty, and the cable's here. So. I, yeah, it's it's kind of a kind of a kind of a weird item to show up, but when you look at it, you go, huh? Well, I, yeah, I guess if I have a cockpit pole position and I need that cable, well, where, uprights. Where, where, this is the same uprights. thing. Yeah, yeah. Where am I going to get it? I mean, and what this does, if 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 you never looked, if you haven't looked, if you don't have a game or you haven't looked under, you know, at the pedal assembly, this wraps around a little bobbin that's on the yeah, it's directly connected to the potentiometer that that is actuated when you press in the brake of the gas pedal when you press the top down so when you yeah when you push the pedal down it pulls this cable off that bobbin which turns the potentiometer then there's a spring there's a spring mechanism that overturn everything back so it's it's literally the connection between the pedal and the game in the game yeah Yeah, the pedal and the computer in in the game so um yeah, it, it for so for fifteen dollars that that's what's being offered and um and if you're interested in what we'll, in in that we'll have a link in the show notes 
And then the second thing is, uh, and I was uh, in reading on this, uh, apparently this has been reproduced before, but there was one run and they sold out. Uh, and the uh, the person who did that initial run wasn't really interested in doing another run unless there was a, a significant amount of interest. So a second person by the it goes by the handle of Aztec F, uh, A Z T E C F, has reproduced the upper and lower uh, transition or what they call slash the windshield brackets for uh, Tron in Satan's Hollow. And these are uh, th- these are cut and powder coated black and uh, it looks like they're they're mandrel bent to uh, to angle and in, in size and shape. And so ultimately, if you are restoring either one of those games, then these two uh, these two brackets would be of of use. So, so are these these aren't I'm trying to envision where these are at on the game. Well, one one is right above, like I'll use a Tron for an example. One is right above the black light on the control panel. Okay, so it's it's like the it, it, so it it like seals the gap of the monitor shroud in that in the curved plastic going down the control okay. panel. All right, yeah. And then the second one is at the top, and it it's like the bottom bracket holding in the marquee. Okay, all right. But it also holds in the plastic. It also seals the shroud to the marquee, and then stops any light bleed. So I'm trying to think back to Satan's Hollow. What does Satan's Hollow have in that gap where you've got that black molded shroud in the Tron? Uh, uh, Satan's Hollow just has the wood of the cabinet and a flat monitor bezel. And okay, that's it. but it's the same parts on a Saint, Satan's Hollow. Well, Satan's Hollow only uses the bottom part. Oh, okay, it, it does not use the same top part. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. But uh, so said a better way. Uh, one of these brackets works for both Tron and Satan's Hollow. The other bracket works just for Tron. Oh, you've actually okay. In our show notes, I actually I see the pictures you've got yeah. in here now. Yeah. I didn't scroll far enough. No, no, that, that's fine. So these brackets they're they're thirty five dollars each, or a full set is sixty five dollars. And uh, quite honestly, man, it's pretty steep for a couple of brackets. Uh, if you want to know the truth of it, that's just my personal opinion. But ultimately, it's all about supply and demand. And so if you've got a if you got some ratty brackets and at this point the the brackets are probably pretty ratty looking i mean we're talking about 40 year old games here this is a nice new beautiful uh perfectly perfectly sized matching texture color uh everything bracket for both of those games so and again we'll, we'll have a link in the show notes to the cloth thread where you can order these i mean there must so be a demand for them oh yeah I, yeah I, I, oh yeah i'm sure especially I, with all the reproduction cabinets that are going out there nowadays yeah yeah i, I was gonna say mainly i guess with a reproduction cabinet i mean i've had a few cabinets here and there that have missed been missing like an upper marquee bracket and one of the things i've run into a few times on the ballet cabinets is um like a pac-man there is on the if you open the back door and you look above the monitor there's a piece of wood and an l-shaped bracket that receives the top of the bezel okay so if on that the, on the inside on the inside yeah, of the game exactly and yes. you know this you know let this be a lesson to you if you've got a bally cabinet check that because <gasps> i've seen those missing and what'll happen is is if you transfer trans uh transplant transport you transport the game on its back when you yeah. lay it down crash the that bezel will slide that <sighs> distance from 
you know, where, where it rests to yeah. the back of the cabinet and can break. Oh yeah. Yeah. Easily. I've seen, I've seen a lot of games that I've laid, that have been laid on their back and there'll be a gap of, you know, three or four, whatever, however many is inches at the control panel side because that bracket's missing and the bezel slid up. Yeah. Yep. Um, but outside of that, I just, I, I mean, I mean I, I've had a lot of cabinets and yeah. I've not really been missing what what I would probably do is take the brackets off my existing cabinet and just send them out for powder, powder coating, coating and yeah. just be done with it. But you're right; yeah. it's got to be in new cap, cabinet yeah. production. I, I, I think it's I think it's new cabinet build is where is where this typically uh, finds its home. But uh, but yeah, thirty five dollars each or sixty five dollars for for the pair uh, of the upper bracket and the lower bracket. What's the lower is called a transition bracket; the upper is called uh, a windshield bracket. That's that's their term for it. So um, so it, it, again, it's good that these are made available. It's good that they uh, that, that they have found a market. But uh, if you are restoring or building a Tron or Satan's Hollow, then you're, you would definitely you would definitely need these because these are very specific mm-hmm. brackets for those games. So I tell you what, Whitney, now that you've spent just a little bit of my money. Yeah. It's, and it's better, I, I better think, this month than in, than I, I in don't prior. think you've gotten as much as you would have thought. I mean, the, the cables definitely apply to me in yeah. multiple situations because yeah. I've got a plethora of, of pole positions, pole positions yeah. as one does. Yeah. Um, I've got but, a couple myself, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I think I'm good on the, I'm good on the bracketry, right? Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> me, me too. I, I just, I toss it out there for, for completeness sake, but the, but the cables that that's a solid find there. Yep. There's no doubt. So let's talk a little bit about feedback and that brings up something that we mentioned on show okay. 91. Yeah, let's do that. So we talked a little on show 91. We just kind of threw it out and, and kind of like live on the show, we were discussing something we'd never done which was uh, a feedback show. And uh, um, we still want to do that. And kind of the position that we're in right now to make that happen is we're just kind of prepping to do that. And we're looking like we're actually going to do that on episode 93. Um, what What's listeners, you know, what, what do they tell us about the show? Maybe try to adr- address some questions that yeah. people may have for us. Yeah. So now this is a good opportunity if there's something. And, and again, we do. We like our long shows, and we like to talk. But um, we, boy howdy, I'll say that. Yeah, you know, well, I'll go ahead and pre-apologize if you know we make a call out for questions and we don't get to all the questions. We don't address your question, or maybe what I think will end up probably happening is I bet we'll get some duplicates and we can kind of combine them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll go ahead and throw that out there. But if you've got questions. Let us know. I mean, Whitney, what, what do you think? You you are the you are kind of the guru of the feedback. What what is the best way to get questions to us? Things that we can discuss on a feedback show. I, it's it's very easy. I would say just do a contact form on the website. Okay, just brokentoken.com and slash contact, and just do a contact form on the website or. Uh, just uh, email something to me, uh, Whitney at brokentoken.com or Brent, uh, Brent at brokentoken.com. Either one, we'll, we'll get it there. And, uh, or, you know, reach out to us on Facebook. I mean, a lot of listeners are, are friends on Facebook or hit us up on our Facebook page. Uh, what you will notice, though, is that after this episode releases in the podcast feed, then we'll, we'll do a, a kind of a mini social media push 
around uh, around just collecting some feedback and some questions and stuff like that uh, for episode number ninety three. Now that being said, we've got we've got a fair amount in the can that we can that we need to address. I mean, there. <laughs> I feel bad for this, but it is it is it is just the absolute truth that there there are times when uh, feedback comes in and it's it's. Um, it's always so appreciated and I flag it. And then quite honestly, I get busy and I forget to respond or, um, I, I want to make sure that in, or it takes me a while to respond because I want to make sure that I respond in the same with the same level of respect that was sent in on the feedback. Okay. So if somebody sends a very detailed you know piece of feedback. I want to give a very detailed response uh, and, and do it in kind because I appreciate it when people do that for me. Okay. I, I, there's nothing that burns me more than typing three paragraphs and somebody responds with a half of a sentence, you know, because it's like, well, they didn't read it or they don't care or it didn't mean anything to them anyway. I, that's, that's not us. And that's, that's not how I want it to yeah, go. Whitney and I were actually talking a little bit about that in a kind of a sort of related topic, something that may came, come up on the show, uh, one of the shows, you know, down the road earlier and the, I think our listeners understand Whitney, the, the, the it's, it's a good problem to have in that you, you've got people that want to reach out and interact and, and speak with you. But the flip side of that is, is it's just us, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're, we're not, we're, we're no, we're no it, big corporation over here, it, you know, with customer service. It's difficult to, to stay on to stay on top of it. It, it is yeah, because it of is. just everything else that 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 goes on in yeah. our life and your life. And uh, I mean, I, I've had a few folks reach out to me and say, "Hey, I've got this going on or that. What do you think about what what would it take to repair this that?" And it, it's not that I don't personally, and I'm just using this as an example to typify yeah. the situation. It's not that I don't want to respond. It's just that. Okay, well, it, I don't have the bandwidth. It's, yeah, I don't have the bandwidth. Yeah, it's not that that yeah. e- where anyone's being ignored. Yeah, it's just it's difficult to to focus on. We do this for the love of. Oh it, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's, that, that's what it kind of comes down. That's to, exactly so. right. But having a mailbag show helps us to rectify a lot of that because <laughs> because we're going to better set, late than never better late than never and you know something we may ought to do a mailbag show like once every i don't know once every six months or once every seven months or something like that or when we get a fair amount of feedback kind of quote unquote in the can we say hey let's just let's you know let's press pause on on the content mm-hmm. and let's do a feedback show and then get back to the content because because, you know, yeah, we've never, you know, that's that's a great idea. We we really should do that because I think that would allow us to take care of the audience in a little more consistent of a manner. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm up for it. We'll yeah. see. We'll see how the first one goes. Yeah, before. sounds good. Before committing, yeah, to before it. yeah, committing yeah to exactly, it. exactly. So, um, so yeah, like I say, look for social media. We'll put a call out because we'd love to, we'd love to answer some questions. Uh, take again, take the feedback and anything that anybody wants to share with us. We'll, we'll put it on, uh, you know, within reason, of course. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll put it on. We'll put it on the air. Would love to. Uh, would love to interact in that way. So, 
All right, Wendy, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of news here, some things we yeah. can... Why don't you do this first sure. one, Brent? Because we'll, we'll take it in an alternating format because that's probably close to how we actually, oh, yeah, actually landed yep. it in the notes yep. anyway. So, okay. So uh, the first thing to touch on here is happenings in and around the Nashville area. Uh, so it looks like there's going to be a new arcade uh, coming online here before. What? I know, before too long. And this is a this is a great thing, especially in this time where, unfortunately, and, and I hate to say it, that we're losing a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses are closing. They're not being able to to kind of make it through. Um, you know, the situation that, that we're dealing with in, in forced closures and all that. And um, I have seen a few businesses that are actually coming online. You know, it's it's there's there's always growth when yeah. when there's, you know, things are different on the other side. Yeah, no exactly. doubt about it. Yeah. yeah. So it you, the, the arcade is going to be called uh, the Pixel Planet Arcade, and it's actually brought to us by friend of the show, David Corrigan. Yeah, and for that, <laughs> I give David Corrigan the, the, sl- slow, the clap. slow clap. Yes. So uh, David is uh, uh, working fast and feverishly on arcade setup and everything that goes along with that. And, you know, we were just talking about the social media aspect and the feedback aspect and staying in touch and, you know, all that stuff with uh, pixel planet is coming online as we speak. So there, there's some things out there. I'm sure that, you know, I'm not speaking out of turn. I, I, I call them maybe a little bit of a placeholder so that, you know, the word can start to get out and then it can develop from there. But pixelplanetarcade.com is, is already up and running. And they're on Facebook at facebook.com slash pixelplanetarcade. And right now, you know, he, David is looking at, uh, and, and I say David, I, I'm sure it's a family event yeah. uh, or family endeavor. So I don't, uh, uh, Julia, I'm sure is involved. <laughs> Oh yeah, there. So the Corrigan family, but the uh, the David and company is looking at the fall of 2020, and I say in the Nashville area. I don't know where this is is actually located. This is there's there's several cities and and local areas here in what is considered Louisville that that makes sense to us. But this is actually in Nolansville, Tennessee, and, and my guess is given where David lives and and it's very very close to Nashville. It's probably the greater Nashville area. So fall 2020, Nolansville, Tennessee, Pixel Planet Arcade. Go check out their website, like their Facebook page. I just uh, did. Show up at the door. I, I will. And, and just wait. I, I can you know, do that. And, and uh, if you're there while he's uh, painting or loading games, make sure to lend a hand. Okay. I can do that too. Okay. Yes. So speaking of Nashville. But I'd have to show up first. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Nashville and, and, and David, let's, let's talk a little bit about the Grand Old Game Room Expo. Uh, David, as of today, and again, you know, we're, we're here, we are in, uh, August 31st. He, uh, he put a, a note out on the Grand Ole Game Room Expo fa- Facebook page and basically, and I'm not going to read this word for word, but I'll, I'll say some of it. I'll read some of it. So it's in, in his words. It's time to update everyone on the expo. So Grand Ole Game Room Expo. I decided to cancel the 2020 show. It probably doesn't need much explanation at this point. Doing a show in a few months wouldn't be the show I ultimately want to provide the uh, provide for people. Now, the next show is October 29th through the 31st. So this is going to be hollow, include Halloween 2021. 
at the uh, Wilson County Expo Center. So he's already got the 2021 plans lined out. He's got the venue booked. And there's more detail here in the uh, in the update that's on the Grand Old Game Room Expo Facebook page. And he actually talks a little bit about Pixel Planet Arcade. And let me touch on this. Uh, my wife and I are opening Pixel Planet Arcade in uh, Nolansville, Tennessee. It's a 2,300 square foot family friendly arcade you pay to get in and all the games are on are on free play uh and it'll open soon fall of this year it'll have about 50 to 60 games it'll be a mix of classic and newer arcade games eight pinball machines skee-ball air hockey there'll be some redemption and, and party room as well so you know that's kind of that's kind of where we stand in nashville and i, and I understand what the show it, it's you know, there's a lot of question marks in the air, a lot of things that that are uncertain. So, uh, and I know Dave likes to, and Julia like to put any everything they can into that show. It's an awesome show. It's Whitney a, and I, it's an awesome talk show. about it uh, before and after every year. It's like, okay, well, here here's it's coming up, it's coming up, and then once it passes, we talk about how great it is, oh, and yeah. wait, and we can't wait for the next it's one. One of so my favorite shows, it, I absolutely adore it. It, it. it 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 would not surprise me if it gets a mention on every one of our shows. Oh yeah, yeah. Through the year, it's it, like it, it, because it deserves it. It's that good of yeah. a show. Yes. So uh, it's sad not to have it, but I, I definitely understand it, as I'm sure you all will. But you know, we've got this new arcade to look forward to. I am I am so down for visiting the Pixel Planet arcade. I mean, David's been. I know Brent. The been, matte he, paintings in these Star Trek shows are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the when they did the recuts, it's just yeah, it's amazing. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> one th- one thing I will say is that uh, I'm down for vis- visiting the Pixel Planet arcade. I'm looking forward to it. I know David's probably been talking to you about it for quite for quite a while and and kind of keeping you up to date on it as, as he has been me. And I'm just glad that it's uh, the news is out and that he can start to build up some excitement for the brand, some excitement for next year's Grand Ole Game Room Expo. Uh, again, he, he does nothing but quality, so I'm, I'm looking forward to supporting him. No so doubt. as we know more and uh, more can come to the, the public's uh, attention, we will definitely bring it to you on the show. Yeah, yeah that we will. Okay, Brent. Next, next thing, and I was uh, I was so surprised about this. It caught me completely off guard. And we can decide. Uh, well, we'll report. You decide on whether this was uh, okay. just uh, fortunate. You know, well, fortunate slash unfortunate timing, cosmic cosmic alignment, whatever you want to call it. But on the same day, uh, on the twenty eighth, that uh, Chadwick Boseman passed away, Stern dropped. A, a trailer, a teaser trailer for their next game. And uh, this is going to be, as we understand it, this is going to be called Avengers Infinity Quest. Now, this, the details that I'm getting ready to uh, read off are, I'm gonna, uh, I want to uh, give credit to This Week in Pinball. That's where I pulled this list. Um, so it's a new game with a brand new design. So it's not a it's not a retheme of the of George Gomez's uh, Avengers pin, or it's not a theme applied over the home pin layout or anything like that. Um, it is uh, reported as being designed by Keith Elwin. 
So Iron Maiden, Jurassic Park, uh, that's so that speaks to the pedigree right there on on the gameplay and design. Uh, this is all based on the comic book uh, Infinity War uh, storyline in the events, and the art is rumored as being done by Zombie Yeti. So Deadpool, uh, Ghostbusters, you know, so on, so on down the line. They're you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You 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 get all of that as well. To go through and watch this trailer, and Brent, I don't know if you had seen this trailer well, beforehand or I, not. No, I hadn't, and I just clicked on it, and yeah. it's. 18 seconds it's long. It's 18 seconds. I mean, it's quick. Okay. And it's really fast. But the trailer is done. At 10 it, seconds, it says coming soon. Yes. And then it, that runs for. Yeah. But you get the snap at the end is what oh, you get. Oh, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah you I gotta, see the you, little dust. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got to have the, you got to have the sound on. I'm not doing it with sound. Okay. Fair enough. Um, do it with sound at a later point and it's very mcu entrance like mcu movie opening esque okay i've got to re-see this episode because the guy's got Riker down and he's got his phaser <laughs> I, I remember this episode but i can't on oh, this there's a crt in the background oh you know that's from the future oh man. my god there's well, no doubt it's, about it's it. so trekked up with like a bezel to yeah. make it not look but you can see from the side that it's Kurt, Be- anyway. because they they couldn't escape their own they couldn't escape the technology of their own time that, that's oh my what it amounts to he's gonna shoot him he's gonna sh- <laughs> i think he shot him <laughs> Any, okay i'm sorry no it's all good <laughs> this is an interesting turn of events from a theme and i, I guess a a timing perspective. I love the comic art. I absolutely, absolutely adore the comic art, and I, I am excited to see how this turns out. I'm just surprised that this drops so soon after Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I know there's still a lot of people waiting on on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and everything like that. But um, Brent, I know you're not the biggest. You know, you're not on the on the new game bandwagon mm. or anything like that. So. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to grill you on your thoughts per se, but it, it is no it is noteworthy because I mean it Keith Elwin Zombie Yeti the art the the revisiting of of I, I guess a comic based theme I, I'm definitely excited to see what what comes of this what what this is going to look like well not to say that I would enjoy it if it was a good game sure yeah uh, the, thematically I have no tie to it because my my understanding of Marvel is just the movies. I, I that was oh, I wasn't a comic kid. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. I didn't get the storylines. Okay. Some of some of the characters that have made their way into Marvel movies, I've actually gone back and tried to research just to know more about it. Like there's there's comic wikis out there yeah. and Marvel wikis. Yeah. And, so I, I don't have a that that tie to it oh yeah and and to me if i wanted uh another marvel pin it it would be if it was because this it would be based on the movie uh, i like how infinity war turned out yeah that that storyline those call outs that imagery yeah but i don't know i might play it i might really enjoy it I, i i don't know but just overall yeah i'm not on the new story Stern pin bandwagon. No, I, I get it. I, I totally get it. I think where where this excites me though is that the theme definitely does speak to me, and I'm excited to see w- uh, if it is done by Zombie Yeti. Then you take a look at the masterpiece that is Ghostbusters mm-hmm. from an artwork perspective, and apply that over to the Marvel, you know, t- to the Marvel properties. 
and then I'm I'm excited to see what Jeremy Packer does with with this art, and then. I mean, it's it's also going to be neat to see how they build out the video the video properties or the video assets for this, because everything will have had to be created brand new. Yeah, it all it, yeah. it all comes from whole cloth. It, it, you it have, all, that's exactly right. You have no uh, there's no movie scenes to pull from. Right there's here. there's no I know this character. I, I know Black Widow is Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I know this character as whoever is whomever. Yeah. So and none you, of, the, none of that applies here. Right. So you, you can pull this out of the air and not that that's a bad thing. Yeah, no. ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes because if this is, if this is based on the infinity war storyline, and it's comic drawn and comic inspired, then the one thing that this does do for it, Brent, is that it makes it timeless in my, in my eyes. This is true. Yeah. Because the art, the art and the assets will stand the test of time. Whereas if you used actual, actual movie footage, that tends to look dated over time and it, and it doesn't stand the, the, the photorealistic art assets to me don't really stand the test of time mm-hmm. because when they're 10 years old, they look 10 years old. That That's yep. the issue. But the, but the comic based assets to me, they never look old. They always look exactly how you expect them to look. And so I, I do, I, I have high hopes for this. If uh, the gameplay is as good as Jurassic Park and in um, Iron Maiden, uh, most, more notably to me, Jurassic Park, then I, I think, I think this has got high potential to be a very, very well-received game. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see when is coming soon. Uh, dude, only Thanos knows. So <laughs> it, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have to wait. He's not talking, I, but I'm with you. I'm, I'm surprised that they let this loose that early. This early. Yeah. I, I would feel that that would, why is everyone so secretive of pinball? But they are because they they don't want to short sell the current game yeah. for people that were, uh, were going to pull the trigger and held the money for the next game. Yeah, but but Brent, where we sit today, then business wise, this has to make sense for them. I oh mean, yeah, they, they yeah. had to run yeah. the numbers. So, I mean, they it's, have it's, to say, oh no, it's time to let how, the next how long one has Turtles been? I mean. Two months, maybe three. I've lost track. I mean, yeah, who I, remembers all the way back to April? <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. So uh, look, that, that was so de- a decade ago, April. Yeah, and and I give that timeline as shipping, like shipping games timeline. Okay, not not announcement to to shipping games, but I'm I'm talking when the LE shipped versus when the Pro shipped. And then, um, and then when the premiums have shipped, and, and I know, I mean, just from listening to other podcasts and watching Pinside, people have had premium like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They've had premiums on order for months now that that have just been in the queue from a production standpoint. That just that haven't been built and delivered yet. So, uh, we'll yeah, I'm kind of we'll surprised. Wait to see where they this just one goes. They just didn't hold everything over for another quarter. Month, yeah, another two month to two months, yeah. something and like that. And go ahead and get get their run out of turtles. Yeah. I mean that's a it's a huge theme. Man. Yeah. I mean huge. it's not it, it means nothing to me, but yeah, that doesn't it means nothing to me that, either. That doesn't mean that neither, we we don't recognize that that's the uh, power of that theme. Yeah, the power of that theme to, the, exactly to the audience right. that it that it that it serves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's there's no doubt about it. So well, with this, we'll just have to wait and see because uh, <laughs> because 
I mean, it's it's on it's it's on the horizon, and I for one, uh, I'm I want to see it. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing to uh, to you know taking taking a, a look at it and seeing how it all turns out. Uh, okay, next one to you. All right, so this is actually the return of a of a podcaster and kind of loosely related to to the show that you know at least in the general our gen- general genre here. <laughs> it's hard to say general genre, yeah, especially general genre, especially this time of evening. This this long into speaking, yes, yes. Um, oh, I'm just checking on Star Trek. We're in a commercial. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're, we're good. You, so oh, yeah, you can yeah, do yeah. the show. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in commercial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is a Rob O'Hara. Rob Flack O'Hara is back behind the microphone. So for folks that that have heard that that name might ring familiar. At one point in time, Rob actually had a podcast network and we were a part of his network. Mm-hmm. And, um, unfortunately Rob just kind of had to step away from the micro- microphone for a bit. So he's very recently started back up with, you don't know flack and Sprite castle. And on his coming back episode of you don't know flack, he kind of touched on just what was going on in his life and just life kind of is it ha- happens. It happens. Yeah. Uh, there was a move. He, he moved homes and there was a lot of things that went along with that. And uh, then when he got moved, there was just organization and getting his studio in line. And, and before, you know, time gets away from it and uh, away from you and you're six, eight months out or however long flack was kind of away from the mic. So I was really happy to see you don't know flack come back. And for those that haven't listened to the show, I really suggest that you do give it a shot. Uh, all of his stuff, we'll have a link to his, his website with his, you know, his podcast list listed there, but you can get, you don't know flack and Sprite castle and just about any podcatcher I can imagine they're out there in, in the, the core aggregators that are out online. You don't know flack. He kind of touches on things or events in his life. So you think, well, how interesting is that? Well, man, we're, Rob has some fun and stories and it's just kind of like sitting down with a buddy and listen to him talk about things and he's got a good voice too. he does he's got a really good voice and for a lot of us it it are it's things that are contemporary with our lives uh-huh. like he had one you don't know flack episode a while back that touched on his foray into car stereos. Now I never was a big car stereo person, but I had a lot of friends that were, so I really understood (laughs) what was the onset of wild and crazy car stereos of the nineties. And I was always handy with electronics and tools and cabling and wires. And, and I ended up doing my fair share of installations and uh, corrections of these stereos. So there there's things that hit, that hit home in these stories that cross a lot of folks that of our gen- generally our folks that are in this hobby that are in classic arcade pinball, classic console, we're of a certain age group. And if we're not, those people tend to also still enjoy stories and things that are satellite to, to that yeah. core hobby. Yeah. So there's something there, honestly, for everybody. And then Sprite Castle, uh, you know, how many times have we ever mentioned the Commodore 64 on all episodes of the Broken Token podcast? Uh, it, it, I would say that we've probably mentioned the Commodore 64 
more than all of those other shows combined on this show. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I was, I was going to say it, it only comes up in uh, two episodes. Two episodes. <laughs> two episodes. So we've yeah. talked about it probably half a dozen times just in this show. Yes. But yeah, Sprite Castle is a cool show if you were a Commodore, uh, a Commodore kid growing up. So Rob plays, rates, and reviews classic Commodore 64 games. Oh, he was man. heavy into the 64 yeah. when he was younger. and I mean, so was I. I, I that was my computer choice was the Commodore line. I did the Vic 20 and I did the 64 and um, Rob talks about he, he, he'll mention things that if you were a 64 person and even to a degree a classic computer person it, he, he he talks about stuff that will ring home. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a really, really kind of cool show. Oh, so good. Good. Uh, and then he ties it back to a personal memory, especially, you know, games that when he reviews, he's like, yeah, and this is how I remember this game. And this is who I played the game with. And, or this is how this game came to, into my possession. So they're, they're really cool shows. And when, when, uh, when I saw, you know, a little red dot with a one in it on, uh, you don't know flack that had sat on my podcatcher app for months and months and months. I was like, Rob's back (laughs) and then stuff starts showing up. And what he's, what he's doing is he's alternating weekly. You don't know flack Sprite castle. You don't know flack Sprite castle. Now he also has this other show. There's not a lot of episodes out there and I hear him mention it all the time. And I finally downloaded, um, one of them and it's called multiple sadness. And what I've gathered is, is he reviews cheesy 80s and I guess 90s like horror movies like Chopping Mall and things of that genre. I mean, not like gross over the top blood crate. Well, I guess Chopping Mall is one that I've seen that has got some like really type <laughs> effects in it. Yeah. It, so it's kind of a tongue in cheek kind of a horror movie podcast, if that makes sense. So if you're into that kind of thing, if you like those, and hopefully I'm on base here because I'm only listened to the one episode, which is Chopping Mall. I was vaguely familiar with it because, again, I've seen it. And oddly enough, it runs quite often on Pluto TV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, there's that 80s channel. So it shows up there all the time. I, I listen to it and it's a good it's 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 a fun show as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad Rob's back. I, Rob, I, I doubt you listen to our show. I know you're kind of aware of us because we were on your network. I'm glad you're back, man. And keep them, keep them coming. You definitely got a, a fan in me. So, and hopefully I can get, get a couple of our listeners kind of turned on to you and pick up some of your shows. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I just, uh, tossed a subscribe on both of those. So here in, here in my pocket cast app. So I, I'll look forward to, to giving those a listen. Yeah. So. I'm gonna have to pull down some more of the multiple sadness shows. There's uh, <laughs> uh, just, just having listened to the one that I know, uh-huh. I, I don't know if I'll go back and, and watch the movies, but yeah. I may be enticed into doing it yeah. after having heard the reviews. Yeah, yeah. Especially on, on, I'm sure a few of them anyway, maybe not all of them, but it's like, yeah, I can pick and choose one that sounded like it would really be worth yeah. it so all right Winnie next to you okay and uh the last one here Brent before we call to wrap is I did want to give uh give everybody uh just a gentle reminder that we are running a sponsored contest uh this is uh through the generosity of Brad Hunter at lit frames uh litframe.com 
and Brad is uh, Brad is giving us a stern LCD size white frame border, uh, all RGBW, uh, red, green, blue, white, um, uh, LED backlit. Uh, translate frame and that's going to be given away on our September show so next let's you know count let's say by the calendar next month's show at the end of September uh, that that particular show we will announce the winner now you've still got by this recording two weeks left to enter because we are calling the contest closed at midnight Eastern Standard Time on September 15th so how do you how do you enter? Well, you can check out our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash broken token, or you can tweet us uh, at broken token. And all you have to do is just pick a number between one and a thousand and closest to the pin wins. OK, now, if there's uh, if there's duplicate guesses, then and you the pr- can go over. It's not like price is right. That's exactly <laughs> right. You can go over. So just over, closest under, to the pin. It's just closest to the pin. That's all that matters. And uh, if we get multiple guesses uh, for the same number, let's say somebody picks, you know, 321 for whatever reason, we have four people pick that number. And if for whatever reason that became the number, then uh, that, that was the pin, then the person who guessed it first is the winner. Okay. Now, my daughter Grace picked the number, sealed it in an envelope. And that's where it sits. Okay. And then on the September show, we're going to pull said envelope. Whoa. I tried to open the coin door on the Tempest. Is it is the key in it? Oh, no. The key's in it, but okay. it's not locked. So here... We're going to open the coin door careful. on the you're Tempest. Gonna, you're going you're gonna to fire up studio guard dog oh, vaccine. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't want to do that. That's a good point. Yeah, we're going to open the coin door on the Tempest. We're going to remove said envelope, crack it open, and uh, we're, we're going to find us a Foley person to do all this really awesome Foley work for the September show. Are you going to get me off on a rant about Hollywood 360 and old radio? I love old radio. Yeah, we, we can do that. And um, save it for September. And... <laughs> And then we'll announce the winner, and then Brad will then ship you a uh, a, a this his white lit frame, and so um, this is just a, a fantastic opportunity for everybody to have some fun, get a really cool prize contest uh, or um, uh, uh, contest prize out of this, and we can't thank Brad enough for the sponsorship in, in doing this. So again, uh, if you're in the continental U.S., uh, there you know the um, the frame will be shipped to you at no charge. If you live out side of the U.S., the contest is certainly open to you as well. All we would ask is that you just cover the shipping of the frame to you with the frame then being at no cost. Okay. So uh, on our website, uh, brokentoken.com, you can see there's a pin post on the blog uh, for contest rules. Uh, so go out there, uh, read all the rules, and then you can enter on the website or come back to social media and enter there as well. I- I'm sorry, Whitney, I wasn't paying attention. I was watching select cuts from CBS All Access Short Treks on Pluto TV. It's okay because your contest entry doesn't matter oh, anyway. Okay. So I, I can give you a pass on that. All right? I, I really hope someone from Pluto TV is listening and they sponsor us because <laughs> that they would be are pretty, getting that would be so much <laughs> so much airtime. That would actually be pretty cool. This is animated. Happen. This looks kind of fun. 
Yeah, they say it's pretty comical, but uh, but I, I've not watched any of it yet. So, and then uh, on let's say let's say feedback, um, you know, iTunes reviews. Please, if you don't mind, to uh, hop out to iTunes and leave us a, a show review. We would really appreciate it. And we're going to save emails and all the feedback and everything for the next show because, like I say, we're we're going to do the feedback show, uh, in, in or the mailbag show and the feedback show uh, next month with that with episode number uh, ninety three. So I guess, Brent, with that, that brings us to a close. Oh, 92 is... It's in the bag. In the bag, man. Yeah, yeah it's in the bag. I can get out of your basement and you can go back to watching TV. <laughs> still, I should have thrown you out when you told me you never had a Commodore. <laughs> and then just click back over to Pluto TV. What do you mean yeah. I can go back to watching it? I've not stopped. <laughs> Well, at least you're honest. Keep, How about I that? I keep waiting one day for you to come in here with like like a one of the little like bathroom mirrors. It's on a little yeah. stand and yeah. set it behind me so yeah. you can I, watch. What I, I, I don't. Do. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to suffer the disappointment. How about that? <laughs> oh, all right, Brent. Where can everybody find? Us? So everyone can find us on on iTunes. Please leave a, a review and rate the podcast. It really helps us uh, to get noticed and increases our reach. And you know, if you could take a few minutes or seconds and do that we would like i said we would greatly appreciate it 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 just gets it just gets us out there you know i said it during the show use the words we do this for the love of it we're not you know we're definitely not retiring on podcast money but (laughs) no we get feedback either uh written feedback or when we see people at shows and there's a lot of things that we cover that it's very helpful uh to people in the community and we're very appreciative that that people listen and that we can help folks so you know these rates these ratings and reviews gets that word out a little further so if you could help that we would really be thankful we're on stitcher uh, radio podcast and of course uh, the google play store and then on social media, you can find us on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash broken token, uh, Twitter uh, at, at broken token. That's our handle. And of course, the website, www.brokentoken.com. All right, Brent, that would be considered a wrap. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, shut this puppy down. Uh, that yeah, way, I gotta that ne- way you I- can watch Riker hop into a chair and then uh, <laughs> not shave his beard. How about that? That yeah, I got a uh, when, yeah, I got a next gen episode that starts in about forty five. So I got to get this show on the road. Okay, got to get a little food. Fair, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay, everybody, listen. Uh, that that is episode number ninety two, uh, August twenty twenty. We thank you all for listening. Uh, appreciate all the feedback and all the kind words that that everybody sends over to us. So again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next month. And until then, keep your quarters clean and game on. Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. 
Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page, as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the only person on staff who has actual vocal talent, Miss Christy Letzi. And that's me. <laughs> music for the Broken Token Podcast is graciously provided by Mr. Scott Denisi. For more information about his music and the projects that he works on, visit his website at www.scottdenisi.com. Go Team Fiero.